right, you bunch of yahoos. Strap yourselves in for another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. In other words, shut up, sit up, and pay attention. Here we go, folks. Another dose of Don and Dan's Toxic Masculinity. The medicine doesn't always have to taste good, but it's good for you. In the studio today, we have the honor and the pleasure of having the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Now, Ken, I hate to start off the show with an altercation, but obviously you have never been around me within the hour of eating a bowl of chili. You think you are the world's most dangerous man? I lay the gauntlet down. <laughs> Drop the mic. It's over, folks. <laughs> Chilly. <laughs> okay. I, that's, so that's, that's hard to top. Opener, folks. <laughs> uh, that's a challenge. That one's a challenge, brother. <laughs> Chilly. And Chili. He's safely on the other side of the U.S. Yeah, he's over 2,000 miles away <laughs> talking <laughs> shit. Oh, man. We, we got to see if you can so, step up to so, the plate. So. Which, hey, which, babe, babe. uh-oh. Hey, there we go. Maybe I'll, I'll put this on so people don't, don't recognize who I am now, huh? Yeah, no, no. Well, you, you lost us now. Yeah. But the bowl, oh, the bowl oh, of chili, man. Oh, yeah. Now I'm hungry. Bowl of chili <laughs> sounds like something good right now, yeah. <laughs> That yeah, was good too. It was awesome. Just a small bowl, but it was good. Is, is it here? Or is it, get, it, did it go to Lisa's house? I think uh, it's on the refrigerator. Yeah, I, I don't know, but boy, it was good. It's my refrigerator I keep outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we had a, a, a nice dinner last yeah. night, you know, uh, and uh, word on the street is that. Uh, and around the water cooler, Dan Severn was afraid to be here today because there was too much testosterone in one concentrated area. Dan, uh, I think you got to defend yourself and let us know why. No, dude, come on. I think it was the chili. <laughs> well, uh, it could be the chili, but I actually think it is uh, the fact that there is there was too much toxic masculinity, but we need to dis- dis- disperse it throughout the United States a little bit more. It, it was like a nuclear bomb all in one area, and I'm just simply going out to a couple other areas simply to spread a little bit more masculinity where it is needed because we do live in a very uh, weak society where people are afraid to speak their minds because they might be called being a racist or maybe be called a homophobe or be simply called a person who actually has an honest opinion is what I think about it. I don't know. I've been so, called all those things, and go, I accept folks. it. I accept we're every not, one of we're them. We're not going to be politically correct about anything. He's, a, he's a cold water, missing cold water version of the Chinese virus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the virus. <laughs> yeah, it's deadly, and it's going to kill all of us. <laughs> there's, hey. a, there's a cause in it and a drip like the other virus. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are the experts on that one. So, uh, oh, that, come on, man. Uh, don't, pro no, no, don't make it oh, that yeah, easy. Oh, yeah, those were the things we weren't going to talk about. Yeah, like, don't make it that easy. So what's it like, Ken, sitting here uh, with uh, sitting across uh, two of your nemesis, you know, what, what's, what's, a, what's a feeling like? Is it like? It does. I, I don't. I mean, I don't think I've ever felt um, 
with competing with these guys ever like they were nemesises or, or enemies, but obviously competitors when we were competing. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. And then, and it was the, the thought of fighting guys that you knew that when you were getting in the ring that you were going to have a fight. Like you knew these guys that you fought, you were going to have to go out and, and be at your best to win or to try to get a win. So for me, it was always, um, especially going in there and fighting them, it was always, for me, an honor to step in there and fight the best. I didn't want to fight anybody that wasn't the best. It's like, why are you getting in there and putting in the training if you're not going to fight the best? It's a waste of time. Yeah, it's like, I'm not here to fight the fifth best or the third best. I want the best. And these guys at that time, when they were fighting, and I stepped in the ring to fight them, they were the best. And so I got that chance to do that. So And then it was an honor. And to sit here now... And be able to sit down and shoot the breeze and, and kind of kick each other chili, in the teeth the a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> shoot the chili breeze. Yeah, 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 yeah. And be able to, uh, you know, kind of um, get to know each other a little bit better. Because, like I said, we've known each other through social media and through press conferences and other things. To really be able to come in with the guard down and not having to compete or try to challenge one another. Uh, it's yeah, it's a, it's a good feeling to sit here and just kind of shoot the breeze and and uh, see whether or not you can kind of kick each other in the teeth a little bit verbally. Yeah, yeah, get a little <laughs> dig in there. Yeah, <laughs> see if you can get away with it. Well, with Don, I I yeah, I, I'm not sure I can compete with him because he has no feelings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just bounces off. He doesn't give a shit what you think or what you say or what anybody says. Mm. Dan Severin, yes, Dan has uh, virtuous feelings. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And there's uh, lines that he will not cross. Yeah, right. Listen, do not cross those lines. Well, now that you said it, yeah. <laughs> those lines are broken. Now that I know, yeah, now that I know it's going to upset you. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's an open door. <laughs> hey, Dan. So a lot of people uh, out there, I'm sure, want to know if the animosity back in the day, you know, between you. And Ken and between Don and and Ken was real, you know, and a lot of people didn't have the the privilege of being there and experiencing all this stuff. You know, do you want to go over a little bit uh, of how that was for you on your end? Yeah, I'd be I would be more than happy to. I mean, Ken kind of I'll say kind of encapsulated it pretty well 5, there. Thousand words or less. We didn't know each other, and so you simply just. Okay, not going to happen. It's going to roll off and have a couple of tangent stories, and then I'm going to forget where I was, and then here we are. I'm talking about the, the topiary. The, <laughs> the, the hedges again. That we'll one come, played out perfect. We'll come back to that. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, so now that Mr. Fry interrupted me, and I'm sure we're going to have more interruptions throughout the course of this. If, if it's not going to be him, it's going to be his other co-part, co-captain there, Quinn, which, again, I think sometimes I like Quinn more than I like Don. But that's, that's a, a no-brainer. So. That's easy. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. All right, Severn. So so getting back to what you asked me there, Rich. Yes, yes let me. Say good, Don. I'm waiting. No, I'm looking for you to just go back, hit that again, start, start from the beginning. Uh, okay, oh, all right. begin at the beginning. So coming, coming back here again. Yes. Yeah, Lord, Lord have mercy right now. I thought this would be better a couple thousand miles away, but uh, when they say that you can simply 
pick up pick up the phone and reach out, touch somebody. They're, they're wrong about that one. Yeah. Okay. So Ken said it perfectly. We didn't know each other. We were just competitors at that point in time, and you know, competing against each other. You know, sometimes things get twisted. In uh, could be from the media standpoint, could be from uh, just other information that that is uh, that is out there. You know, the hardest part was when we were first competing. We did not have the luxury of the internet, so really, realistically, we couldn't uh, like today. All you got to do is Google a person's name, and you can get all kinds of information about them. But back during that time, you would show up to a press conference. It wasn't a weigh-in because there was no weight classes. So to show up to a press conference on a Friday night, and and again, I'm talking about the tournament format uh, of what it was like back then, and to... First, for the first time ever see the seven other male competitors and you you learned about them as the mediator would, would say, you know, contestant number one, stand on up. And then basically uh, they had a kind of a, a, a sheet of paper that they were just to be reading on off that uh, this is, uh, this is Hoist Gracie. He stands this tall. He weighs about this much. His martial art is, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, and I mean, literally, then he would sit on down, and then you would go down to contestant number two. So they would run down this list of, of, of the different the eight different competitors, and then they would pull out a bingo ball machine. And in this bingo ball machine, it had eight different names onto it. They would spin it around, and then the first one pops out, then it might, might be like Ken Shamrock. Okay, then they spin around again, and then it'd be like, you know, Tank Abbott and and – you finally know who your first opponent is going to be less than 24 hours before you're about to step into the cage against them. You did not know who this other person was. You knew no background about them. You were, it, it really was the, the, the wild, wild west. You were flying by the seat of your pants. You tried to find out whatever you possibly could in the, the next 24 hours. And, to, and then just jumping in this tournament format, and when, as soon as you're match, you, you try to watch matches before yours to see what what things that you could find out enough that would aid you in, in your upcoming match. Or if you got up there first, then as you're you're trying to get rested up, recouping for your next match, you're watching a match after yours, trying to figure out who's going to be victorious and come out. And again, to try to find out any kind of a, a, a an edge that you could. Uh, weakness that you can see just by watching them in their match. So with that, that, that one foundation being laid that, you know, that during that Noah's Bart era, I always wonder how many of these young guys and gals today would be willing to step into that type of a format. I mean, we can't go back in time, but I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of those interesting things that uh, yeah, how many guys were, you think born be able to do something <laughs> like that or even would, would step up to it. Yeah, that's uh, that's. that's I, did, I did not hear that. Yeah, I think I I I think Don said that most of these guys weren't even thought of yet. <laughs> they, they weren't even. They, they, wow. they, the sperm wasn't even even stirred yet. <laughs> yeah. Sperm wasn't even developed. Yeah. yeah, in the egg. Right. So so uh, 
So what you're you're bullshitting around is that you didn't have any bad feelings towards Ken. <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? Until after that, until after that fight in Wyoming, I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly, yeah, I, I wouldn't say exactly that either. Because again, we didn't know each other at that point, so you simply looked at you look at that as the opposition because that's someone that you're going to compete against. That's it's, again, it's not that you that you dislike them, whatever that that represents your competition. Everybody again, everyone wants to be the alpha male. That's just when you, when you got a bunch of guys around, everyone right. wants to be the alpha male. Only one person gets to be the alpha male. Yeah. And so and when I, you got a bunch I, of alpha males I, around yeah, and, and, I, and you're about to climb into a cage. Yeah, and I know this for 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 where I was standing and, and how we how all of this started to generate towards our anger and our frustration towards each other was in when we were in Wyoming. And we had a, this press conference, and Dan and myself were called into this press yes. conference, and and uh, Phyllis came with them, which was his manager. And we sat down at this table, and I remember I was talking, and, and the and the interviews were going, and and uh, so Dan gets up in the middle of the press conference, literally gets up in the middle of the press conference, looks at me, and then like just like like f you, not didn't say it, but like that look, like. And then walks off, and I was like, "Did that? What? What just happened?" Like, I'm slamming my hands on the table, going, "He doesn't like that's me. That's disrespectful. Oh. That's disrespectful." And then Phyllis literally jumps—I kid you not—jumps across the table at me and says, "He's gonna kill you." And I was like, "Who is? She? Who is she?" Just crazy. Bro. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not fighting her. <laughs> Because she was vicious on me, man, and I remember that's what really—that's what really started with me and Dan was that when he got up and walked out, I think he was in, in and I and Dan could speak for himself, but I think in his yes. mind is like I'm wasting my time here, like I don't know why yeah. I'm here. So he gets up and leaves, and in my mind, I'm going, "You punk! Why did you just get up and walk out while I was talking?" And then Phyllis jumps all over me, and so then when we had the fight, we went in, we had the fight, and then after the fight was over. Dan whispered in my ear when we were talking to one another, and he, I didn't mean anything by that. And I was like, yeah, okay, no problem, you know. But I think anybody that knows me, the way that I go into a fight is that I pick and I, I literally pick at something that makes me mad at my opponent and gets me to where my, my blood is boiling because – You didn't every, have that problem with me. No, no, no that was really easy. easy. <laughs> anybody could just yeah, look I at you and find I something have to, to I didn't have to pick about. it, Don. Don gave me all kinds of ammo to be mad. <laughs> so, so yeah, I didn't have to pick it. But, but Dan was different. Dan was different because Dan was legitimately a good dude. Like, I mean, he was like – everybody knows Dan. Wait a second. And he was a good guy. He was respectful, you know, and uh, he was nice, right? And so, for me, I had to find something. And that I could be pissed off at him about. Don, I could look at you and you would give me that little raise of an eyebrow and that pissed me off. <laughs> wow. You just did it again. Yeah, see, what am I doing, right? So that, see, that, that's how easy it is. On me. Yeah. Why is always picking on me. So tra- training with this guy, that, that was a, a psychological thing that you, I think you like to do, right? Don, you know, uh, try to get in other people's heads. Any, any, try to establish any kind of advantage. You know, how, how did you feel going into all these? Oh, fuck. Ken was basically too dangerous to, um, leave 
calm and let him <laughs> think his way, you know, through the fight. You know, you, you, you had to stir the pot against Ken. I mean. Because if he didn't, I would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get pissed, then uh, your rationale level disperses. Well, I mean, some people some can people say that, say but for that, me, yeah. I that's the way I've always fought. Yeah. You know, I'd gotten older, no question. Uh, being uh, aggressive and maybe angry like that might have been detrimental to me. But I'd done it my whole career. That's all I've ever done was pick and, and, and start fights with people before the fight as a psychological advantage. So I had always done that. And so, but as I got older, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, maybe it, 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 it caused you not to think clearly. But if it did, it didn't hurt me when I was younger because it's exactly how I fought when I was younger. So, yeah, but, but, uh, but it was just too fun. But it sold tickets. <laughs> it yeah. sold tickets, yeah. brother. You know, the, <laughs> it was too fun not yeah, right. to do much and watch and piss. Right. Yeah, Ken, we were talking earlier about the buzz and the, before those fights, yeah. you know, uh, at the Saitama Super Arena and, and, you know, at the weigh-ins. I mean, at the weigh-ins, at a press conference. I, do you guys remember where that was at? The press conference where you were in the oh, cage. Oh man, he it threw water like, in my face. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then Hollywood. and then it, it, it broke. It all hell broke <laughs> loose. I remember jumping the cage and getting in and trying to keep you guys apart. And that's when I knew it wasn't an act. No, <laughs> you know, it, it was no, and it never was for me. Ever was for me because it was real. I made it real. And even for anybody, these other fighters, they 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 don't. They don't do this because it's not real. They do it because it's real. They find things that make them feel the way they want to feel going into a fight. It's just like with Don. Don had the luxury, right? He could fight a guy that he could shake hands with and hug him. And, and even before the fight, he could do that. But he also had the luxury of doing the other side, which is being a shit talker or disturber or getting people's heads. So he was able to do that. I wasn't capable of making those adjustments I was one way and one way only, and that was I needed to be angry and I needed to hate you. I needed to be going after you, and that's the only way I would get in the ring and fight. Is I had to I had to build up that anger, that hatred, that frustration towards my opponent. I I needed that too because I I couldn't go in there and fight somebody that you know you're, you're friendly with and and you, you know you're gonna go to base, uh, little league baseball games together. You know? <laughs> right. I'm gonna make sure I didn't like this. You know, I mean, I I don't like you at all. Yeah, no, and I I know that. That's that's why we're honest with each other, though. Yeah, right. Yeah. Honesty yeah. is better than than being. It's yeah, yeah. You can't reach me though, but that's cool. So. Just, you just wasted space right now, brother. You. <laughs> Dan safely in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the back cave. But no, I, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in there for, for another couple. 5,000. I'll, I'll jump in there and then talk about like that, that first, uh, that first, uh, meeting that, that, uh, Ken and I had that there was this interview taking place and the interview that was taking place, these were rather, I mean, it was it was weird questions they just asking. I'm thinking this is not right. He really, we shouldn't both be in, in the room here at the same time. We're about to fight each other later this evening, or it was like the, the following that I, I can't remember what the time frame was. It was, it was all within 24 hours. It was I that thought day. I'm going to, and I actually leaned over and whispered into Phyllis's, Phyllis's ear, and I said, "I'm going to step out so that Ken can answer all of his questions without me being right here." And then. When he's done, I'll come in and then I'll do my portion of the interview. So I basically I just kind of I didn't want to interrupt Ken, so I just kind of kindly uh, excuse myself, told Phyllis what I was doing, so in case 
the uh, the interviewer wanted to know what's happened, and I and I and I left. Oh, you had to but go that's dye when your I, hair. I was told to tell the truth. You had, had, you had to go dye well. your hair. <laughs> and apparently, Phyllis only heard jumping <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes, that was. Uh, it, and and, and and Don, I, I thought I thought I paid you off to Don not to be talking about my my my, my hair my hair color techniques, you know. Okay? You look great, yeah, right. <laughs> That's because you broke the the pact. You were supposed to meet yeah. on a Saturday and do it, it together. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, my 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 nose is stained and my got in my eyeball. <laughs> That's great. Oh my goodness, I love this. So, uh, uh, Ken, what? Well, uh, Tell us about the fight, your fight with, with Don first. Yeah, I tell you, um, the build-up to it was awesome. We did this tour, and I believe that was the first time that they were actually doing this um, uh, tour from Japan yeah. into the United States. And so when they approached me about it, it was a, a, a young lady who was a part of the boxing world, um, came in and was going to put this together as a tour with me and Don traveling across the U.S. doing these different tours and stuff. And I was like, wow, that's, I mean, especially for us fighting over, it was, I believe it was in Japan, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, wow, this is, I mean, this is going to be a worldwide thing. So as we started the tour, me and Dan had some really, really bad, uh, Don, right? Or Don, 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 Don. Had some really did I say Dan? Yeah, yeah, it's okay, man. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all those white guys, dark yeah. hair, mustaches, yeah. looking like all you white guys. Oh, look, look you the same. Know, which one are you talking about? <laughs> white, head, white head, homosexual. Yeah, hey, listen, I've been hitting the head a lot, right? <laughs> Actually, by Don one time, real hard too. I lost my memory. <laughs> Just once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time was all it took, brother. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so as we were traveling, um, we had had some verbal. Uh, conversations that were really getting under my skin and was trying to get under his skin. And I know that when we were going face-to-face in all these different places, my my intentions were to just just really get into him and really just try to start start this, this uh, rivalry and that every time that I would be in front of him, I would try to dog him. I would try to get in his face. I would try to make him angry, try to start a fight. For, uh, or anything that would constantly keep him mentally tired of me just constantly battling him and coming at him and by saying things. Kind of like a marriage. Things. Exactly. That's perfect. <laughs> but I wouldn't say a marriage. I'd say a divorce. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, dude, you, just, you clocked him. Keep, keep going. Hit him again. <laughs> he was so, laying the ground for divorce. Yeah, laying yeah, right, the ground right, for right, divorce. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, but at the same time, I also knew the media was going to eat it up. I, I mean, I just knew it. And, and, and Don had the same idea. I mean, so it was really a, just like when I've had other fights with other people, you would know when it was a pleasure, even though you're not liking each other, but it was a pleasure that you had somebody to bounce off of. Like sometimes I would go with somebody and they wouldn't do anything. They just kind of sit there and I was like, you know, I mean, you can't do anything with that. But whenever I went to Don, man, he gave it back in double that. So it was like, it was this jousting going on the whole time that we were on tour but then there were a few moments in there where we let each other know that, okay, man, we're, we, we're on the same page here. I don't hate you, but this is business, right? So there was a little bit of that a camaraderie in there in, uh, that was in between these different things that we had 
kind of done with each other. I think Don actually made the first move over there to say, Hey, I don't hate you, but I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> so, but, but at the same time, that was good, right? It, it, it was like, okay. Um, and it, and that way I felt comfortable even going harder at him. And even when he threw the water in my face and we went at one another, I mean, we got so much coverage out of that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when we actually did the fight, there was so much attention being paid to what we were going to do that night before the fight ever happened. And so going all in that week and going into the into the fight, um, to me, it was like, dude, this, this was, I could feel it. Like I could feel the energy. I could feel the excitement. And then they're talking about the actual fight. My strategy was to go in there and literally stand up with him and make him come after me by strikes, punches, clinches. And then as he started to get tired, I would then attack his legs, which is if you watch the fight, it's kind of how it went. We kind of went at one another, a lot of clenching, a lot of punching. And then I would go after him at the end of the round, knowing that if I went after him and I didn't succeed in tapping him out, using a lot of energy to commit the submission, um, which is what I did, that the, the round would end. And uh, unfortunately, in some of those rounds where I'd attacked him and I got after him, I ran out of time. Like the bell literally rang when I was literally putting him in the leg lock and was cranking on it, starting to try to turn it and turn it and turn it. And the bell rang. And so um, it was it was uh, it, it was probably what the three minutes left in the last round. Something like that. Three minutes left, four minutes left in the last round. He catches me with this left hook. Okay, now I'm being honest, man. I've never, and, and even to the end of my career to this day, I have never, other than Mark Coleman when we were practicing, right? We were doing some practicing, and he hit me with There's a There's no shot. practicing with Mark Coleman, though. Yeah, right? That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> so, um, but uh, he when he hit me, and I actually went down, I do not remember going into the leg lock, putting the leg lock on, and then as I'm sitting there, everything starts to come clear, and I see Don looking at me, and I'm like, oh, shit. What's he doing over there? <laughs> yeah, like, we're in a fight. Playing Twister? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And I've, I've said this before in other interviews. Is I've been hit a lot. I have never, ever been unconscious with anyone. And that was the only time that I've ever been in a fight where I've been hit. And I literally do not remember going from the stand-up to the ground. I don't remember how we got there. And I remember watching it on video going, well, I look pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, I wish I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I don't. I know. I'm glad you didn't know. <laughs> one of my questions was, did I ever hurt you with anything? Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, yeah. If you would have stood up for me and, and just stepped back and made me get up, yeah. I'm not sure I would have been able to stand up and and without wobbling because I I like I said when he hit me I do not remember going from stand up and when I hit the ground all of that was I I don't know how I got there right right yeah so since he shared a little story I'm gonna have to share a little okay, story you too you know <laughs> all right sweetheart <laughs> so uh, along the lines of you know he wanted to know if he ever hurt you you know and 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 you, of course, you just told us a story that you. Oh, you know, he, did, you know? he didn't hurt me. I don't remember. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, lost a memory. You know, the fight oh, continues, oh, and uh, and he gets the decision, and he's walking out. You know, like John Wayne there on the right with a bullet hole in his ear. Yeah, this is, well, <laughs> and uh, so we get into we get into a hallway, and all of a sudden he's like his knees are really just like 
giving out, you know? Yeah, I strutting out. I'm strutting, strutting out in front of the crowd, yeah, you know, just crowd. like, ah, just, you know. The John Wayne strut. <laughs> we get into this hallway where no one could see, and he's like, needs some help getting down the hallway, you know? And uh, we get down this hallway towards the dressing room. We open up uh we open up the doors and there's a bunch of media people taking pictures and he just pushes the help aside and starts <laughs> strutting again, you know, like. <laughs> I mean, as soon as we got in that hallway, I, I grabbed grab both I of us. Sam and, and his feet were doing this dragon, you know, like you're taking your drunk buddy out of a bar, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, it was pretty bad. So you, you, uh, they were effective, you know. Yeah. Uh, God, yeah, it, 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 and again, you, you talk about you know, being in a fight and 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 having fights, even with 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 Dan. Um, you know, with with Don is, I knew he was a tough kid. I knew he was he was he wasn't going to tap. He was going to have yeah, to that, break something, right? I knew that. I knew right from the get go because he was his mentality is the same as mine: is I'm not tapping, right? I'm not going to do that. And uh, so I knew that going into that fight that me and him were going to have to put each other to sleep. That's just the way it was. Or I was going to have to maim him enough to where he couldn't walk. And uh, so you we both that. knew yeah, that. Yeah, you kind of did. did <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't get to do it in the fight. He came after that. <laughs> but even with Dan, and uh, and I was talking to Don about it a little bit earlier, was that, you know, and it's something that we've never been able to share because we've kind of been at one another quite a bit uh, over stuff that, that I didn't know and Dan didn't know, but now that we've kind of aired it out, we're, we're, we understand now. But Dan was one of those kind of guys that, that, and even in that fight, I knew that Dan was, he, he was going to be one of my toughest fights to that date, that he was, he was coming and all the things he had done prior to that, he was a beast, literally. And so I know going into that fight that it was going to be a tough one. Now, when I, when I actually got the, the, the win in that fight, um, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that that was not the Dan Severin that, that if whatever the reasons were that would have come in and fought me at a hundred percent. I know that, right? I know Dan and what he has accomplished and everything that he's done up to that point that I didn't get the best Dan that I understood. Right. So even when we went into the second one, obviously we both know that that was horrible. I didn't fight. Dan didn't go and fight. We just didn't do the right things to go in and do what we needed to win. Right. But I also too want to make sure people realize that fighters have off days. Yeah. Right. And, and if, if, if Dan would have been at a hundred percent and would have been coming into that fight, like I normally would see him come in when he was doing the tournaments, it would have been a different fight. There's no question. But at the same time, I also want people to realize that <clears throat> when you were carrying the strap, you were the best in the world. Nobody could beat you. When Dan was carrying the strap, nobody could beat him. He was the best in the world. When, when I was carrying the strap, the I was the best in the world. And that's one thing I think people need to realize is stop taking away people's accomplishments because when they're carrying the strap, I don't care what excuse or what thoughts you have, they were the best in the world. And then don't go saying, well, they didn't fight him or they didn't fight. You fought everybody they put in front of you to win and carry that strap. End of story. Right. Yeah, between the, these three guys here, there's uh, 149, is it? 149 MMA, professional yeah. MMA victories. And a lot of those are 
defending championships. A hundred of those are Dan's, aren't they? Yeah, no, I think 148 <laughs> are Dan's. But don't take away from you. Just that was your speech. Don't take away from your accomplishments, man. So, uh, so, and, and you know, another thing that, finish. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, hey, I got to get my four thousand words in. Hey, so. Uh, uh, a lot that was of, a journey, but that was a journey. But it was called piece work. I, I wasn't being paid by the hour; I was being paid by the piece. So uh, it, uh, these younger guys will say, "Oh, uh, the game has evolved. They don't know uh, the no, ground game like we know it now, or they don't know that they just don't know." Is what you know what I mean? They just don't know how much submission you guys just because you go out there and don't show it in a fight doesn't mean that you don't have it and. You know, sometimes you just want to put on a good show and just bang with somebody, you know, and uh, that doesn't mean that you won't get submitted by this guy if, if uh, they need to show you what's up, you know. Well, the thing is, too, is that you, you realize that times change. It's like watching the NFL back in the 60s, you know, and then you watch the NFL today or even back in the 80s and you watch the NFL today. I mean, you can't touch the quarterback. You can't hit the receivers. They're going to have more yards, more catches, more touchdowns. And so when you try to compare them to, you know, Kenny Stabler, uh, as opposed to to Tom Brady or or Bradshaw to Tom Brady or Montana to Tom, you can't because the game is different. It's a different. It's just game, like yeah. with the fight game, you cannot compare what we did in our time for what they're doing today because it's different. We didn't have the training technologies. We didn't have all the setups and the diet and all of the stuff that they have now today. Much more violent. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was a lot more tougher guys as far as tough, tough guys that did it when we did it as opposed to today. But the thing is, Ken, what I hate is the word tough. You know, it goes to the, oh, the tough man contest. Right. No, that's, that's completely different, right? fucking yeah. different, right. man. Completely right. different. So when you're, you're thinking about the, the tough man contest and not, not what we did. We we were tougher, raw bone tougher, but we still were intelligent fighters. Right. We still knew, you know, the game that you all playing now. But you, you know, fuck, we just didn't get there most of the time because no. the other guy. I mean, you got two monsters, violent monsters that want to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they want to test each other. As of today, it's more of a business to a lot of them. For us, it was like just showing our toughness. How we're well, gonna go in and bang with each other, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kick your ass. I'm gonna beat your ass. But now they're they're thinking about the next fight rather than that fight in front of them. You know that they're in that night. They're thinking, well, I I can't get hurt how did i get to that fight no there is no next fight you take care of the fight in front of you yeah it's more of a business yeah Yeah. yep it went from a fight um to a to a business to a tv show right you know and right now it's a tv show and it's a horrible show Yes. You know, get, trying to get back to the fight. Yeah, yes, that's that's what people want to see is fights, but they also want to see that storyline of why these guys are fighting each other because there's so many fights out there right now. And the thing I would tell anybody that's fighting is, hey, man, don't go in there and be silent. I right. mean, go in there. You don't have to go and talk smacking like that, but do something that makes you stand out because there's a 100 other guys like you that are fighters. So I don't know if it's your brand or if it's your marketing or however you're going to do it, but you got to make sure that you're the one they pick for that title fight. Just yeah. like with you and me. It's like, in order for you to get that fight, you got to make that thing squeaky. You got to make yeah. it loud. So is that you're the one going to get that fight. 
Yeah, you you know, you pull a Conor McGregor or the Colby right. Covington, you know, and and you let them know that you know, you're, sell tickets. Yeah, you're squeaking. You know yeah. that this wheel is squeaking. This wheel's going to draw some attention. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Just like with Dan Dan Severn saying, "When the gates closed, release the beast." <laughs> <laughs> That's generally at the cafeteria, though. <laughs> exactly right. Hometown buffet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that, that that kind of help there, Don. I don't need that kind of help. <laughs> take yeah. take your medication. <laughs> All right, so Ken, let's just let's go back in time here a little bit. Before there was the the fighting Ken Shamrock, before there was the professional wrestling uh, Ken Shamrock. Your days are so tell us a little bit on. about your your childhood or or where where you can go back as far as you can remember back to to where you uh, growing up uh, in the, through the. Through the foster home type system, because I mean that that was something that was very very enlightening to me through the the different kind of conversations that I've heard and kind of you know definitely showed a lot more uh, background information that uh, yeah that that you grew up on one side of the railroad tracks where I was definitely on an opposite side of a, a railroad track right there. So tell people a little bit about growing up as Racism. Ken Shamrock or before you even took on the Shamrock name. What, what was it about? Yeah, it's. Uh... First of all, it was in, it's Georgia. Uh, Macon, Georgia is where I um, was born at and, and started to uh, grow up. Uh, I was in a really, really rough neighborhood. Me and my two older brothers were were um, basically staying in one room. Uh, we didn't have any mirrors, didn't have any TV, you know, barely food. Uh, my biological mother was what what we call today a stripper, but a go-go dancer. So there was a lot of shady people that came around and did some pretty crazy things that we we as kids had to uh, uh kind of uh, deal with right as as we grew up but we we because we were in these this environment you know at a young age uh, 6 7 years old we were fighting all the time um because we were constantly um fighting for whether it was space in our yard or whether it was, you know, somebody saying something to us, it was either as a kid, you either lay down and get beat up or you start fighting and get beat up. And I learned early on that you got beat up a lot less if you started fighting back. And so my, my mindset from that point on six, seven years old was like, okay, if, if there's three or four or, or one, doesn't matter if they start coming at me big or small, I'm going to fight you because felt like I wasn't getting beat up as bad when I was fighting back. And so that just kind of set it early on in my mindset was, okay, I'm, you look at me wrong or you say something to me, I'm, I'm hitting you. I'm going after you. And so as we grew up in this area, probably around eight or nine years old, we ended up picking up and moving to Napa, California. Now in Georgia, it was all predominantly African American. We grew up, there was one other white family in this area and we were constantly fighting didn't know why we were fighting, just that we knew we were different. And so we were fighting all the time. Well, then we pick up and move to Napa, California, which is predominantly white. And when we get there, my first day of school there, 
I get into a fight. I'm fighting all the time because I was different. I walked differently. I talked differently. I dressed differently. I had the southern accent. I didn't dress with a lot of class. I dressed like I didn't have a lot of clothes to wear. So I was fighting because of where I had come from. And I was fighting the same thing because I came from that place. I was fighting there. So it felt like when I moved from one place to another, there was nowhere for me to go that I fit into. And so then it led to me fighting more and it led to me stealing and robbing and, and doing things I shouldn't have been doing. At the age of 10 years old, uh, I had gotten stabbed in a fight and ended up in the hospital, got arrested for strong arm robbery, uh, breaking and entering, um, several counts of breaking and entering and assault. And so I ended up, woke up handcuffed to a bed, uh, read me my rights, uh, Ended up going through a lot of different placements in, in group homes. I failed all of them. Same thing, fighting, uh, constantly running away from homes because, one, I didn't have an upbringing. I didn't understand what it was to have somebody try to raise me or try to take care of me. Everybody was out for themselves. I didn't trust anyone. So I ended up running away one one home after another, ripping off stores, ripping off people, breaking cars, breaking into cars, stealing rims, stereos, anything I do to make money. Time I was 13 years old, I ended up at a place called the Shamrock Boys Ranch. That was the first time where I actually ended up somewhere where I felt like the guy that was running the home, which was Bob Shamrock, that literally cared who I was as an individual because I was constantly fighting. Instead of looking at me as this fighter and this punk kid, he looked at me as like, okay, he's got anger issues, frustration. He he's He's more outward with it. So like somebody looks at me. They start to say something, I hit him. And so he was like, okay, let's get him into sports. And so he put me in sports, football, wrestling. Um, I became relevant. All of a sudden, instead of these people looking at me going, there's this punk kid. Nobody wants to deal with me. Nobody cares about me. All of a sudden, I got these coaches and these teachers. Now I feel relevant because I can tackle, I can hit, I can score touchdowns, and I can pin people. I can go in and wrestle and beat people up within the rules. And so now all of a sudden, I went from this kid that was doing all of that to an instructional uh, area where I was taking the anger and I was keeping it within the rules of the games I was playing. And all of a sudden now, I wasn't the kid getting arrested or putting in juvenile hall. I was a kid getting medals hung around my neck and winning football games. And now all of a sudden, teachers are helping me get good grades. And all these things started to fall in line. And I realized my senior year, I went undefeated um, in wrestling my senior year. And, uh, and it, w- it went through sections, one sections. And I go into the wrestling area, and I end up breaking my neck. I went for because we didn't have anybody in there taping the match data or cleaning them because the season was over, and I was the only one that had qualified. So we had guys come in, and they were helping me. Well, they didn't tape the mats and clean the mats, and I just slipped, and the guy fell on me and broke my neck. And now all these things that I was relevant for, all these things I did that made me feel good and that made me feel relevant was now all of a sudden in jeopardy. I was told I would never play contact sports again. 17 years old, after everything that I went through, did everything right, it was being taken away. My father said something to me when I was in the hospital, and I'll never forget this. He told me, he said, you can lay there and pout about it, or you can get up and do something about it. Now, what he was saying to me was like, yeah, this is bad news, but you're the only one that's going to be able to change where you're at right now. Nobody's going to do it for you. You're the only one that can do it. And from that point on is, is where I really started to take initiative. I was turned 17 a month after this. 
Uh, I realized that my options with scholarships uh, were gone. Nobody, no colleges were going to touch me. And so I realized what he had said to me was, was as black and white as you could get it. And so I started doing something about it. I started training. I started lifting. I started putting on size. I started getting strong, started putting muscle around my injured area and ended up walking on at Shasta College playing football. I was the starter. I was the captain. Um, I got a lot of awards when I was playing football and then did the Olympic trials uh, in 88. Um, and then one thing led to another where in my career and everything where I'm at right now, and all because of the one thing my father said to me was like, you're the only one that's going to change the direction here. Nobody's going to do it for you. Yeah. Strong stuff. Wow. How old were you, Ken, at that time when you, you first met Bob Shamrock? I was 13. 13, 13 years old. How many other boys were living in this uh, group home at that time? 18 boys were in the home. There was four counselors. Uh, we had a bunkhouse that I believe it held eight kids, and then we had two other rooms out there that held three, and then in the main house they had four or five more rooms in the main house, and it was a mansion. I walked into this place. I was like, I don't, you guys came to the wrong house. Because it was a million-dollar home. It was beautiful. And so every other home I went to, it was run down. They had counselors and, and house parents that would come in in shifts, and uh, they didn't own the home. The government did. But Bob Shamrock owned his own home. He invited these troubled kids into his home, his million-dollar home that was a mansion, and invited us into his home so he could raise us and teach us right and wrong and teach us how to change the direction we were going by looking at kids and going, okay, you're outward with your aggression, you're inward with your aggression. There was a kid one time that that was more of an artist, right? He wasn't into sports or anything. And my mom, I remember seeing how she dealt with this kid because he drew this drawing in class where he was standing on top of a pile of bodies and he was holding this head and it said, kill them all. It was a drawing. And they literally sent the kid home. And this is probably in 81, 81. So they sent him home and said, he needs to be on some medication. He's crazy. And so when he sent him home, my mom looked at the picture and goes, wow, that's good. Because he was a great drawer, man. It was, it was a really good picture. And she saw the talent, not the actual aggression. And the, the, <laughs> she looked at this and goes, wow, that's a great drawing. And then she said, basically, like, you can't draw this in school. Said, but when you're home here on study hour, because we did an hour of study hour every night, she goes, you can draw whatever you want for 30 minutes, whatever you want. He says, but after that, because at the time we were putting on an addition to the house, she says, I want you to draw an addition onto this house. He's like looking at her all blank, like, what do you mean? He's like, draw however you want to draw, but just add another side to the house here, what you think looks good. And of course, he starts doing it, right? And he puts, he draws the drawing on there, and, she, and of course, it looked good. And so my mama goes, okay, so, What's the dimensions? What's the measurements from here to here to here? And the kid's like, well, I, don't know. I don't care. She goes, well, you know, if you want to learn this, you can literally learn how to draw and draw stuff onto additions and stuff like that. If you're interested, I can pitch you with the guy that's actually doing it, and you can kind of learn some of the stuff that they're doing. Because the kid's like, oh, whatever. So the kid goes, and he actually starts learning how all this drawing works with the architect stuff and with the measurements and all that. The kid goes on later on and goes to college and becomes an architect. Now, listen, that could have gone to one of two ways, the same way it went in school. It could have been teachers send you home and call you crazy, or it could have been my mom going, okay, this kid's got talent. This kid's got something that's good. He can draw. 
Let's see how we can use this kid's frustration and anger and turn it into something positive, which is what they did with me with sports. I mean, you couldn't have told me, hey, you know what, go play sports and get you. No, they had to show you and then teach you the rules on how to stay within the rules. And you could be as aggressive and as mean and as hard as you want to do as long as you stay within those rules. And so it was just another aspect of how the Shamrock Boys Home was so much different than anyone else because they were literally taking kids that had these issues and these problems and directing their intelligence or their their mindset of things that they did well into something positive and then showed them how to do it. So did uh, did he have a part of the like of uh, your teaching style or anything? Did, did he impart that stuff? You know, at the lion's den, what what you were doing then. No, that's, I think that's the misconception a lot of times where everybody thought my dad trained me and that, you know, all the, no, my dad was more of the, the mental support, uh, loving support, caring support. I mean, he was always there and he always had something to say to me that no matter what had happened, it would, it would make me feel better. Like, and he would give me, he would give me, uh, thoughts and ideas to be able to fix whatever issue or situation I might be in at that time. So, uh, in that aspect, I mean, that was much, much bigger than, than, than being that trainer for me. What he was able to do for me was be able to bring out, um, all of my abilities and, and, and even in the, some of the things that I was doing wrong, he was able to approach me and be able to point those things out without me blowing up and, you know, getting angry. Hey, Ken, how many years had Bob been running like this uh, ranch, the Shamrock Ranch, before you were there? And how many years did it continue afterwards? Yeah, he did. He was actually up in Anza, California first, where he he had his first uh, boy's home. And he drove a school bus uh, while he had the home. And that's how he got started. Him and and, and my my mom had actually got started in the group home. And they raised horses and, and cattle up there. And even when they were in Susanville, they uh, raised Arabian horses. Uh, he had two horses. One was a white one and a black one. And he would teach us how to take care of animals. And so that was a big a big part of our learning how to care for something because they wouldn't talk back or be angry. So he had that group home in Anza for I think it was about 12 years in Anza. And then when he moved up to Susanville and, and got that house, he was there for 27 years, I believe it was, uh, in, in uh, Susanville. And then so I was there probably midway through that. And then, of course, I went to college, and then uh, later on I did other stuff. So I would say probably maybe 10 years after I'd, I had um, gotten out of college, um, he probably had the house about 10 more years after that, and that's when Frank came in. My brother Frank came in. He was adopted 10 years after me. So, But, but he, he'd helped over 1,000 kids. 1,200 kids, something like that. Even kids in the neighborhood that were in Susanville or in Anza, he would, he would invite them over to the house, and, and a lot of kids would go to him because he was just that kind of guy that you knew that he was just a kind person and that um, he was always positive, like he was always saying positive things. And so a lot of kids gravitated towards him because he was always, especially if they had problems at home. Um, they always knew they could go to him and, and he would have a conversation with them and then have a conversation with their parents. And it was never, uh, it never turned into a bad thing because just the way he would approach it and how he would talk to people. Did, did you, uh, always consider that home after you became an adult? Well, he was did such you a go major, back? he was, did you go back there? You know, like, is that where you would go home to visit? 
Yeah, that was my home. He adopted when I was 18 because my, my biological uh, mother at the time, uh, for whatever reason, didn't want me to be adopted. I don't know because I was never raised by her. You know, I mean, I knew her and I knew who she was, but I was never really at that house because I, I was, I was, I was gone most of the time in juvenile hall and stuff. And so it wasn't like I didn't, she wasn't raised me at the time. But then when I said that, you know, I think it was probably 15 years old, uh, he wanted to adopt me and I wanted him to, I wanted him to adopt me. And my, my biological mother said no, she wouldn't, wouldn't let that happen. And I didn't understand it because I told her, I said, I'm gaining a father. I'm not, you know, I'm not replacing you. And, um, but she didn't, she didn't want it to happen. And so when I turned 18, I went down and, and my dad and myself went down and did it anyway. So, um, but yeah, so it was, like I said, it was without that specific part in my life, without that part of it, I, I would not be sitting here today, um, talking with you guys with all of my accomplishments because without the influence of Bob Shamrock, I am not the same guy. The Funk family. Well, the obviously, there's a big influence right there, Ken, because when you look at uh, what were your – I mean, you, you run a group home now for boys. How long have you been doing that? Yeah, I'd actually done that in in, uh, in Lodi, California, in I believe it was 94, 95, 96. Uh, I had actually started running the home for group homes. And the fact is I was doing that home when me and you went to fight in Detroit, our second fight. And uh, that was a big influence on some of the decisions I made going into that fight uh, with the rules and stuff that they had set down because I had uh, five uh, boys in the home. And one of the things that we preached, which is what I learned, stay within the rules and you could do whatever you want. And so I was struggling with that uh, that thing that they were trying to push across to us as fighters of going ahead and doing it and we'll, we'll find you later. But to me in my mind, it was like I just two weeks prior to that, those guys in Canada got arrested, some of them for punching. And so I just couldn't take the chance yes. of them arresting me uh, and going to jail because I broke the rules after preaching this to the kids and the way that I was raised uh, to bring me where I was at today. Um, obviously, I wasn't an angel. I broke rules all the time, but I didn't do it in front of media. I didn't do it in front of the TV or cameras. You know, I mean, I did things that weren't I'm not proud of uh, and that were mistakes probably, you know, but uh, in the moment I just got loose and did things. And but I felt like this where it was like it was national TV. Everybody's watching and we know what the rules are. And so I just I couldn't I couldn't put myself in that position to do that. So I only did that for three or four years after that. Um, and then, of course, after that, I, I moved away and started another career in pro wrestling, uh, started moving away from the MMA and, and started uh, really digging in and finding out what I could do more in pro wrestling. And that's when, you know, uh, WWF came in and uh, I started uh, uh, making a career there. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of worked. I didn't, like I said, I don't have a group home now for kids. I work with, I work with at-risk kids now. Where I literally go out and I speak to different kids, whether in juvenile hall, group homes, or just kids that were at risk, um, that they literally have me come and talk to. So those are things that are very close to me and things I love doing because I've been there. I know what they're thinking. I know what they're going through. And with my success story and what I went through, I'm able to share with these kids the things that they can do if they decide to put their minds to it. But um, they got to do it. Nobody else can Yeah. 
Kathy, you got a great story to tell there, Ken. That's uh, again, that these are things that I learned more and more about you as time progressed on. So, as I as I said before, you grew up on one side of the railroad tracks. I grew up on the other side. I grew up on Walton's Mountain, and I had like fifteen other brothers and sisters, and I you know. Milking cow tipping was the most scandalous thing that I probably got <laughs> in trouble for. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. sure. you're tipping them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did a little bit of that too myself. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a very nice thing to say about the women in Michigan. <laughs> All right, so so Ken, so you you with the, the ending up of that last story, they're talking about you know. Uh, moving away from uh, the, you know the group home to to speak to at risk kids, and then you said that uh, you started pursuing professional wrestling. How how did that come about? Did, did you is it something that that you saw and you thought you'd, you'd like to be a part of, or did did some professional wrestlers or a professional promoter actually uh, get in contact with you because you had that certain look, that certain appeal that. Uh, that they thought that uh, they could they could utilize uh, your physical attributes and stuff like that in now in the world, wacky world of professional wrestling. How did that come about? Well, uh, go back a little bit. Um, I actually started pro wrestling before I started my MMA career. If it was back in, I believe, uh, 89, 88, 89, 90, 91, somewhere around there, it was Buzz Sawyer. And I remember I went up there to take wrestling practices with him and uh, Sacramento, California. And I was in Reno at the time. I was bouncing in Reno. And so I would drive up there. It was usually about an hour and a half, two hour drive. uh, And I would drive up every weekend. And when I would get there, um, Buzz would literally just have me go out there in the park and we would just do regular wrestling. So Buzz was testing me, right? He goes, okay, let's wrestle. Because Buzz was a stud when it came to wrestling. I mean, he had a background in college and all of it. And so when I wrestled him, he was, he was, he was tough, but I was able to get the best of him. And so once he saw that, uh, a few weeks after that, he started doing these tryouts. And what he would do is he'd bring all these guys in and he would start getting their money. They would pay $1,200 to $1,500 for a tryout. And he would tell me to beat them up. Don't, don't let them, don't let them make it. Like, don't let them make it. And then he would tell me the ones he wanted to make. Like, there would be some smaller guys that I'm looking at going, yeah, let them pass. And I'm like, because they had money. Like, they were literally investing in what he was doing. One of them was a plumber, and he was going to invest. And he said, hey, let that guy. He weighed probably about 200 pounds. Like, and these other guys that came in was, a, one guy was called Horse, and he was like 240 pounds, 6'4", played football. And he goes, I want pretty that light guy. for a plumber. 240. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. So I would go in, and, and this dude was all yacked up. And I'd go in, there and I'd beat him up, and he'd quit. And Buzz would keep the money. And I did that for probably six months, just constantly driving up there. Every now and then, we would wrestle a little bit, but we wouldn't do any pro wrestling because he didn't have a ring or any setup so he was literally going to these racquetball courts and we'd go to the park or wherever he could find and he would do these tryouts and then of course we would do tie-ups and lock-ups and takedowns but nothing like pro wrestling going off the ropes or anything and so i was like kind of going wow are we gonna ever learn this and i remember my dad goes because he'd bring me up all the time he goes yeah this is just not working out and so one weekend i went up to buzz's and, and i stayed at his house and of course i knew he had bad habits and i don't think that's a, a, a something that was hidden a lot of people knew that um, and then I remember the next day when, when I had gotten up, um, he was dead. He went to a, one of the clubs down in, in Sacramento and he, he died in the, one of the stalls because, uh, in my thought, he owed people money and that he was getting stuff from people that he owed money to and they gave him a hot, a hot shot. 
and uh, and it killed him. Um, and so he died. And so then I was like, okay, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound right, but okay, I got to find somebody else yeah, to train. Yeah. <laughs> move on. Yeah. So I end up, uh, my dad looks for the place and he finds, um, Nelson Royals out in Mooresville, North Carolina. Now go to figure, this isn't something that I chose to do. Like I didn't go, Hey, I want to go pro wrestling. My dad was the one that said, Hey, you should try pro wrestling. Right. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll try it. So I go in there and I start doing this pro wrestling and I go there and, and there's Tatanka's there. The nasty boys are there. There's a lot of these guys, um, um, steamboat, uh, George Paul, Paul George. Um, I mean, a lot of guys that literally did well, um, in pro wrestling. And so I was with a bunch of group of guys that we were traveling around the Moores, Mooresville and North Carolina, South Carolina area, putting on shows. And eventually I was carrying the strap. And uh, so I started doing well. And then I got this opportunity to go over to Japan with Baba's group. And so I ended up going over there and doing a six-week tour over there. Stayed the whole time. Didn't get sent home early, which is what I thought was going to happen. Because that's what they said. If you don't get it. Because I didn't get it. I mean, I was still young. And when I went to Japan, it was fast. And I was like, dude, this is not what we do in States. And so I had to learn. Stay after with the young boys. Train with the young boys. And start learning. Um, worked with the Can-Am Connection, Doug Furness, Danny Crawford. Um, those guys took me under their wing along with Malenko, uh, and worked with me while I was on the tour. Started getting pretty good at pro Dean, wrestling. Dean, yeah, yeah, Dean, yeah, yep. Dean's, started working with him and, uh, and started doing pretty well. Then I ended up going back home and then I did another little tour down there, uh, back home. And then Dean had come up because I met him in Japan to come up to my house in Mooresville and he was going to run the circuit with us at North Atlantic Pro Wrestling. And so he would stay at my house. And we were going to travel together. Well, he showed me this videotape of this this UWF, which was pro wrestling, but it was like hybrid pro wrestling. Right. And so I watched it, and it was Fanaki and Suzuki, and they were punching and kicking each other. And I was like, dude, what is that? Like, And I remember Dean going, well, I mean, those guys ain't playing. And I was like, I want to do that. And he looked at me like, you sure? And I was like, I want to do it. So he sent me up to his dad's place in Florida. And I remember doing a tryout and just – I mean, even Bart Vale was there, right? And he was supposed to be one of their guys. But I beat them all up because I'm, I was a tough kid. I mean, I had the background growing up in the streets. I knew how to box. I knew how to wrestle. And, you know, I was 220 pounds, benching 605. I was a strong kid. I was a great athlete. And so when I went in there, I just kind of just started beating guys up. So it was normal for me to go in there and actually do this tryout. But I, they didn't have the skill sets the Japanese had, right? So they ended up sending me to Japan to uh, go there and, and work with some of the young boys and some of the Japanese kids. And I was like, yeah, so I go there. And I remember in there, and I'm working with these young guys, and I'm, I'm schooling them, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Like, this is it? And then I watched Suzuki and Funaki walk in the door. Like, I saw those guys on tape, and I was like, that's those guys? Of course, in my head, I was like, you know, you, when you don't know, you don't know, right? And I'm like, okay, let's go. So first one comes out, which is Suki. He goes about 180 pounds. He's 5'8". You know, I'm going to toss this kid around. Like, I'm going to smash this guy. <laughs> There's no way he's going to out-wrestle me. So we go in there. We get going and start going. And the next thing, he catches my back. And I'm, like, trying to pull him off. And all of a sudden, I see him standing above me. And I'm like, what happened? He's like, get up. And I was like, what just happened? And I remember, like, thinking to myself, what yeah, happened? We, we he's, like, he's like, he got choked out. I was like, choked What? So Sammy goes, listen, if, if you can't get out of something, tap. And I'm like, what? He goes, tap. And I'm like, I ain't tapping. It's like, because like, uncle, I'm not giving up. He's like, no, no, it's okay. It's like, if you get your leg or arm, I'm going to break it. You got to tap. And I'm like, 
So I go with him a little bit more. I go with about 20 minutes, and he beats the crap out of me. I mean, Suzuki just throws me around. He's choking me, armbarring me, leg-locking me, and I'm just humiliated. I'm like, I'm a, I'm, I'm, it's never happened to me. Then he asked me to want to keep going. I said, yeah, this is probably now about an hour, hour and a half into when young boys and, and Suzuki and he's, I'm not, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do better than this. Like I, I feel like I just got destroyed. So Fanaki comes in and he's like six one and he goes about two ten. And I'm like, all right, I gotta get big boy pants, man. Let's go. So I go in there and I just got tooled. I mean, he just controlled me. Every time I thought I was in good position, armbar me. And just humiliated. I felt so bad. And I remember Sammy going, good job. And I was like, just to myself, you're saying that. I go home. I think I, I think I blew it. I get a call, I don't know, maybe a month after that. Hey, you want to come to Japan? I was like, me? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I get up to Japan. They teach me the submissions. They teach me the hybrid wrestling. And um, I go out there and I win my first match. And, of course, it was hybrid wrestling. And so that's where my career started. That's when I really started to get a look. Um, 17,000 people was my first match. It was unbelievable. They were chanting my name afterwards. Once I felt that, once I – that was it. I was in. And, of course, the rest of it is all history with from there to, you know, Pancras to the UFC into the WWF. Um, and then back into that. So that's kind of the, the short, brief story, not brief, but short story, <laughs> my long, short story, uh, the kind of the journey that I had taken. Well, that's cool. Shit. Uh, how about you, Mr. Severin? <laughs> you have a short story? <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 do I have a short story? No, Dad Sever never has a short story. You know that. <laughs> hey, so uh, so during this wrestling, uh, your your professional wrestling career, um, you were telling us a story at dinner the other night about uh, Owen Hart. You were you were on deck when the that accident happened, right? Yeah. It's, you want to uh, tell us a little about that? That was pretty trippy story yeah it is it's um it especially in the pro wrestling world that that especially wwf it everything in there is is a story and is a work and and sometimes when they start doing it it's almost so real like it seems real and so when something does happen that is real you don't know it's real because you can't literally put your finger on especially when 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 owen when he fell um, the issue with that was that Owen, when he was doing the practices, he had an amateur harness on, which means that they had to come up. We did house shows with it. The guy would crawl up into the ring. They'd undo it, and then he would start wrestling. Well, in the on the pay-per-view or the TV, he couldn't have somebody come in the ring and undo it, right? It had to be done without somebody coming in because you could see it. So he had this professional harness on where it had a button on it where you'd hit the button, it would release you, you'd hit the match, start wrestling. So he gets up on the thing, and 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 I don't know this is real or true or not, but from my understanding, they didn't practice it, like with the amateur harness, since he'd already done it on house shows a, a bunch of times. They figured he'd just go down and and he hit the button, he release himself. The problem is with the button was on his chest, in the area where when he came off that rafter, he lot you know like normal he would kind of start backwards and he would reach up and grab the harness, like he would do normally. But the problem with that was that when he went to grab the harness, he hit the button. And it released him. 
and he fell from that height and uh and and he hit the 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 pole and the ropes and stuff like that so uh he was dead instantly and so when when that happened we were all looking at it and when you see something like that you never see that before you've never seen what that really looks like before so when you see it for the first time it doesn't look real like you just don't believe that that is real cuz it was like almost like this rubber band and this there was no there was no stiffness and no resistance it just looked like a, a a doll and i was sitting right there on deck looking at the camera when it happened and it just something didn't look like that's just that that's not right and as he came out and they had him in the the gurney and they were rolling him out there was no blood there was no, it was just a normal guy with his eyes closed and it didn't look any different than he normally looked other than he was sleeping and so when they were pulling him out and putting him in the ambulance, everybody's gunning around him and they're all worried, except for half of us were like, okay. Is this real? Yeah. This is, this when is, is work, where's right? the gimmick, is... right? Right? Like, what, what, when are you going to tell us? And so he goes away and then they pull everybody aside the next night because everyone, including the, the fans, were like, dude, that was cool. That was, man, was that real? Of course, in their minds, they're knowing it's not real. They're like, man, that was, that was intense. So next night they pulled it again and said, Hey, listen, um, we can either cancel the shows on the tour that we've got now and let everybody kind of get their footing, but Owen's dead. And of course we're all looking at each other going, okay, where's the punchline? Like, but yet it never came. And so we ended up, everybody decided they were going to go ahead and do the show and we're going to keep doing the show because that's what Owen would want. But even as we were doing the shows, we were all thinking there's no way they're putting a show on after Owen, this just happened. So it's got to be fake. It's got to be, it's not real. Like they're going to come to us and, and, cause it, it's happened before where the boys don't know the angle. And, uh, but it never came. And so the, it started to settle in and really start becoming real probably six weeks, eight weeks out when you didn't see anything from Owen and you saw the wife and saw the kids and you saw the family. It, it started to be intense and real. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a dark time. Owen was one of those kind of guys that everybody liked. Um, Dan knows this because he spent some time with them. Um, but he was a genuinely good guy in that I don't think there was anybody that thought badly of him. And he was a river too. Oh, he was fun. Yeah, he was fun. Yeah. So yeah, you didn't, you didn't know. You still didn't know six weeks out. It's just, it was tough to really get your head wrapped around it and truly, truly be all in with it. But, uh, you know, eventually that, that became a real thing. Uh, even though I think after the funerals, when everybody realized, and that was a while after, so that was tough, right? Even after the funeral, nobody, nobody really knew because it's like you see it, but it just doesn't look like that person's gone. It doesn't look real. Like he's not dead. Right. It just doesn't look like that. Well, just like what you're, you're saying there, Ken, you're saying that the, uh, uh, you say like the, the, the professionals world, it's a very jaded world because you see things and because you're around it so much, you're always looking for that, the working aspect of it, of the, uh, you know, the predetermined, the, the, you know, I, I had heard that the, some people were waiting for Owen Hart simply to, to jump up and go, ta-da, like that was all part of the act, but uh, there was no act to it. So it, 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 uh, it, it does make you really wonder sometimes, was it real or was it, uh, was it just part of a, a storyline that uh, somehow was going to emerge later? But that's, 
one of those aspects of the, that it's a very jaded industry in, in a lot of different ways. It is because you don't know what what real is and what what uh, even some truth, right? Like even truth, uh, it just doesn't doesn't resonate with pro wrestling and the work aspect. Truth doesn't doesn't fit. Yeah, like when Kurt Hennig passed away, you know. Yeah. Well, you, well, you see some of the professional wrestlers that they live they live a storyline for so long they soon forget where does fantasy end. And reality begin. They literally start believing this this crap that that this creative team is coming up with. And uh, you know, maybe because they've taken way too many chair shots to the head, or uh, <laughs> that uh, they literally start believing. Uh, that that's what I I noticed about that industry. That really kind of took me back. That's for sure. Well, it just becomes your reality after you live something for so long. You know, it's just that's who you are now. You know, you can. Uh... You can try to act like something, and eventually you are that. You know, now that's part of getting over too. I mean, like you have to become you have to become that character, um, and and there's a lot of guys that become the character that they take their work home with them, and and that's the ones that are really irritating because there's guys like myself or Dan Severn or Don Fry that we've done pro wrestling, and we go in there and we put somebody over and it's really hard to watch them get on social media and start talking crap when you realize, dude, but it's a work dude, back up. Like you don't got to just keep going with it or otherwise I will show you reality. (laughs) Reality TV. (laughs) My poor mom, my poor mom, God bless her. You know, she would, you know, we get on a plane that, you know, or somewhere and she would always, Talking, you know, moms, they brag about you and all this. And then you meet this guy, look, mom, I, as a dick to her, said, mom, I'm off the clock, you know. <laughs> you just want to punch him in the mouth. Yeah, I'm like, off the clock. Let me, I don't want to meet anybody, you know. I don't want to yeah. do this. I'm tired. We'll be my family, you know. Yeah. And, you know, when I, I'll, I'll go by somebody, you know, a, a big star. You know, and I won't get in their way, you know, because I know that um, they might be with their family, you know, and a lot of them are are really are dicks, you know, and they want to be with their family. So, you you know, you give them the time, the space. Otherwise, you know, they say, don't meet your heroes, you know, (laughs) you'll be so disappointed, you know, I mean. Nothing, I don't believe that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is, man. It's, and it's a tough, it's a tough spot too, because we sign up for, for the idea and we know what the idea is like. And we realize that the toughest guy is not going to win. Um, most of the time, right? It's going to be more of a guy that has a creative ability to make things look real or creative ability to be able to, to grab make, money a mic. For, make money for the company. Right, right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. they're related to the owner. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a, a big plus. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But we signed up for it and we understand it. Yeah. Going in there, you know, that's why when I'm in there, I think it's important that when I go in there and I work with somebody, uh, I want to have the best match possible, and whether it's me going over, him going over, it doesn't matter, because the idea is that people are looking at your work right. and your body of work, and that's what's the most important in pro wrestling. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, it's it's all on uh, 
tape video now, you know. Yeah, there's no getting away from it. No, huh? no, you, you don't want to leave a shit match out there right. for everybody to look at. Yep. Yep. It's like when you send a bad text and you're trying to delete it. <laughs> That's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> trying to delete That's it before problem. it sends. Or better yet, you actually do a text about somebody who challenged you a, uh, two or three years ago, and then you send that challenge back out to him, and he's dead. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, not a bad one. You can't you can't yeah. erase it fast enough. <laughs> You're like, sorry, man, really, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> a ten year old daughter got the text and wants to kick your ass. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, seriously, it wasn't supposed to be like that. So how's this uh this uh bare knuckle uh boxing thing you guys are doing, how's that going? They said we we'd work into that. Yeah. I looked at my fist. And I'm like, <laughs> I could do two things. I could hit Don with it, or I could ask Ken about the bare knuckle boxing. Yeah, I don't know. That, that, that fist right there looks like a looks like a peanut. <laughs> Compared to that, you ever work with your hands? No, no, I've never ever have. I made some some tortillas yesterday, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Valor's been doing real well. I mean, we had to stop because of uh, COVID, you know. Um, I was, I've always been, lo- I love fans. I love fans to be in the audience. And so it just kind of, even when I was wrestling, it just didn't feel right. And so we've kind of built a, a, our, our Valor more in the social media since COVID had hit, trying to build our platforms and, and our advertisements and things of that nature. And even trying to change the way we went at our first show. Even though it was a hit, there was things that we could improve on. So we did. We spent a lot of time on trying to improve Valor instead of trying to just force shows to be put on. Um, and so now we're in a position now where we can literally start going out and actually finding venues to start putting these shows on. And we have a platform that we're going to use where we're going to start out with the one event and then the next event and then the next event. And each event is going to build up to the main event. So, you know, we're pretty excited about that and, and moving forward. So we'll just wait and see what happens. Uh, people look out for it, ValorBK.com. You can find all the information out on that. And, uh, yeah, we're probably within the six months. Within six months, we'll be having our first event. Well, is it real bare knuckle? Fighting? Oh, it's straight bare knuckle. I don't like this bare knuckle and they tape their hands. It's yeah. like that's not bare knuckle right, right. <laughs> yeah that's that's a whole concept of bare yeah. knuckle is it learning how to throw a punch yes. without breaking your hand right. you know i yep. mean it, there's a lot more to it than just punching somebody you can't go in there and try for the knockout because you might not get it and your hand's broke and then he's still standing you know or or he beats the count yep and then now you're you're stuck there with a broken hand your hand's swollen up the yeah. size of a glove yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you gotta finish the fight yeah hey did or, you guys catch that what he's was given the dates he's uh he's writing it down uh mr Whoa. severn's writing it down i think he wants to be at the tryouts <laughs> <laughs> what do you think dan well he wrote down the date no no look, no, look, no look, look, look. okay no i <laughs> My, my question, my question was, my question was going to be when it comes to the the, the Valor uh, BK uh, shoot. Now I lost. Now I lost my thought. Yeah. You know, I was writing down my next question right there because as you as you coming up with the Valor BK, I, and now you put me on the spot there, Mister Price. So. Way to go, me. <laughs> I just, it looked like you wanted in on that bare knuckle. I better uh, just sit, sit back here and look, look pretty now, huh? <laughs> oh, Don, the door was left yeah, open. Yeah, uh, come uh, on, man. Uh, that was Wake too up easy. over there. That was too easy. I had low hanging fruit. <laughs> 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 
Uh, <laughs> let, let Hillary there just slide away. Ouch. <laughs> so, sorry. So, so what are the rules, anyways? Um, what we tried to do is is because boxing. I love boxing, and I always have. I love yeah. footwork. I yeah. love the the fight, especially with the you know Sugar Ray Leonard, Duran, Hagler, all them. I love. Oh my god, the intensity. amazing fights. Oh, those so much amazing. different than than now, right? It's just yeah. different. But but I love that type of boxing, and so with the Valor uh, BK, we wanted to try to bring in a clean bare knuckle fight. Whereas that, you know, now they've got Valor Bear, not Valor Bear Knuckle, but they got other Bear Knuckle leagues that are out there doing these fights, but they're allowing them to grab and clinch and punch and dirty box. And to me, I don't, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think that if we want to have guys go in there and actually fight the way you're supposed to fight, uh, then you, you can't have, especially when it's true Bear Knuckle, you can't have guys grabbing because then then you got problems with eye poking and eye gouging because you don't have gloves on your hand. And so therefore your fingers can get stuck in someone's eye. Uh, and, and it, to me, by keeping guys fighting with their hands closed. So when you get into a clinch, you can't grab. So there's no, like in the regular box where you get guys got to hook you with a glove or this and that, and you can get into a clinch. It's like with us, it's just straight bare knuckle boxing. Whereas literally when you get in there, we're just taking the gloves off and it's going to be boxing rules. So we like that, except for there's no clinching. You cannot, when you do get into a clinch, when you get in close, you can't grab. You got to punch out of it. So I think that the the fights are faster that way where they can't grab and hold and clinch. Yeah, because you can't hold your way out of a knockout. That's right. That's that's part of the game too, though. Yeah, but but with no hand, with with no gloves on. Yeah, but with no gloves on, if you hurt somebody, they can literally tie you up like yeah. a wrestling tie-up. Right. So it takes away that purity of boxing and being able to get a knockout because someone, if they do get hurt, they'll grab you and they hold you yeah. and they got no gloves on, which they can hold you till they, till they literally get back their senses. And so that's why we wanted that taken out where there's no clinching. If you get inside, you got to be punching your way out. And if you get hurt, you can't grab them. So can, uh, you got any names, big names, uh, crossing over from MMA into, uh, the bare knuckle scene, anybody um, we might know? Yeah, um, you got Mark Godbeer. He did a little MMA. He actually won the tournament. Uh, Mick Sweeney. Uh, he ended up getting knocked out by Lavar, who was another MMA fighter. Um, so, and then Mo, uh, he fought in it. Um, he he made it to the finals and lost to Godbeer, Mighty Mo. Mo the Wall. Yeah. So we had a lot of guys come in. I, I saw your uh, interview with him. On that, uh, like Sports Center or whatever. I don't remember what it was. Do you remember what that was? Is uh, uh, Boss Room's show. Oh man, that that was that was prime. If you if you get a chance to go look at that, that was. Uh, I beat that poor kid up verbally. Verbally, <laughs> oh, verbally assaulted him, man. Uh, it was it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Was, he, I guess, uh, he tells the guy. He tells the guy, you know. Uh, that was working with me at the time. He says, man, I've never been beat up like that. <laughs> Usually I, I come back, but he just tore me apart. Oh, it was, it was one right after the other. Ken, you gotta, you gotta uh, check was, out that clip. He was on, huh? Yeah, it was, it was on. Yeah, I had a good day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took 35 years, but man. Everyone's, everyone's wild one. Yeah, yeah, it's like an right. eclipse. That's his, that's his clip that he's gonna send to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. here's my footage. Here's my reel. <laughs> my highlight reel. All right. It's a slow day. <laughs> I'm used to spot on, you know. All right. 
Yeah, well, that's that's one thing. You had to gift to gab, man. Gift to gab. Mm, oh, shit. Sometimes that gets me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but t- it wouldn't matter. If it didn't get you in trouble, it wouldn't be worth anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, we waiting for Dan Severin to pop in no, there's a There's Dan <laughs> Severin saying he's number one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, <laughs> I thought he was cleaning a booger off of his <laughs> No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't do that. No, I didn't do that. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, flicking it off. Okay. So, and, and anyway, uh, Ken, I, I know that you, uh, I know that you've actually have uh, dabbled in stem cells. I've dabbled in stem cells a little bit myself. I like kind of like uh, to talk about uh, what you feel about stem cells and what. Uh, what they have done for you, uh, sharing your story there to what uh, what kind of problems you might have had before, why you wanted to go into uh, stem cells, and what have they done for you since? Yeah, it's um, I it was a few years, four, five, six years back. Um, I was having a lot of issues with shoulders, knees, back, and even before that, you know, it was just a gradual buildup of injuries and things that I'd gone through in my career and just got me into a point to where I, I hadn't trained for almost a year and a half. I was depressed. I didn't look good. I didn't feel good. And I just, man, I was just looking at myself and I just felt ugly in the mirror. I didn't like it. I mean, just, I just like, who am I? Like all these things happening. And so I just got to a point so where I said, people well, did I, an intervention for you then, huh? Well, it was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really more about me, right? It was more about when I was in that position. It was like, what are you going to do? Like what my dad told me is like, you know, nobody's going to do this shit for you. Nobody's going to do anything for you. And I'm sitting here feeling bad for myself. Now, wait, Ken, myself. That's, 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 well, hey. that's, that's getting to where you, you're taking control of your, of your own destiny, yeah. you know, and you're not relying on the government. So. Right. That's Now, that's a no-no, right? Are you, st- are you, are you sending your stimulus check back? <laughs> yeah. That's what I, I want. No. I never got one. <laughs> yeah, and I ain't begging for it either. <laughs> to me, I take that and I, I just basically gave my rights over to him. Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it was it was more about just going through a process, you know, constantly getting worse, constantly not being able to do what I want to do, be the person I want to be. And I remember I was at a, a show one time, and this guy came up to me and started talking about these stem cells. And I was like, you know, I never heard of it, you know. And so he's talking about how good they are and how they do this. And I mean, we hear this a million times yeah, you from get, people. Somebody's always got something. Something, you know? right? It's a miracle drug. And yeah. Like, yeah, I've heard this before. Right. So I just kind of he handed me some stuff, and he says, no, I literally. So he literally pestered me. He'd call me. And he would get in contact with me. And then he, I saw him on my phone one time. He sent me uh, footage of guys that had done the stem cells, and one of them was Matt Hughes. And, I mean, you know what Matt Hughes' story is. He got hit by a train in his truck going to training. I mean, he was messed up. He was in a wheelchair. He was hardly moving around. I watched this transformation happen on film. And I, and, and Matt is, a, is not a kind of guy that's going to lie to you. He would kind of like you. He's just going to tell you the truth. And so I remember watching this thing as I'm watching this transformation. I see all the procedures they're doing. They're doing this story with them. And, and he's literally, you see him gradually over process on this, this footage they were doing, get up and walk out. Out of his wheelchair, he goes down there, walks out of this facility. And, of course, it was a process of time. 
and walks out of this thing, and I'm like, okay, that guy's legit. So, and I remember I called him and I talked to him and said, man, is that real? And then it was, of course, yeah, it was, and I'm like, okay. So then this dude, I ended up calling this guy and I go, hey, yeah, I'm interested. What, what's the deal? So he's like, hey, we're going to we'll do this, we'll do that and do this. You know, you go down there and we'll, we'll put you in this thing and, and, uh, and we'll take care of you. Everything will be great. And of course, Metadine, you think of Metadine, you think of Columbia, you think of drugs and violence and gangsters. Yeah, somebody says, we'll take care of you. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, yeah, so you're like, am I coming home? Right. So. He's like, no, dude, it's, it's different. Metadine's changed. You know, they're trying to clean it up. It's very professional. And yeah, okay. So I was like, okay, you know, uh, so they, they fly me out there. I get down to going to this facility. Um, they put me through this process of these, these, these different videos and different things on how they're going to do these certain things, what to expect, um, when you're coming out after you, cause you go into surgery, uh, and then what they're doing and what they're putting into your body. And of course, I don't, have the understanding of what they're doing they're telling me but i don't have the understanding of it so i'll say okay so then the next day we go in they start taking my blood they get all this blood out there they take it for for i think it's 48 hours yeah. uh, they split do whatever they, they do it, to it right. i go back in and then they do the procedure things that they already warned me of well we're going to do it and the hotel is connected to the mall the mall is connected to the hospital so you never have to go outside so I go to this thing, and uh, they, they do this procedures. They videotape all I don't get to see it, but I saw it later on. And they inject all these things right into my different areas in my joints. And I right, was... so they're not cutting you open. They're no, just needle. injecting. Yeah, it's okay. trigger point, right? right? It's literally trigger point. And they're literally filling your joints up with this stem cells. And that's supposed to help rejuvenate and, and almost build your cartilages and different things back again and of course this all sounds really really weird so it's like you know if it, it, it matt's matt said it worked i gotta believe him man and so i get the procedure done i wake up the next morning i can't put my clothes on i mean i am literally just sore and stiff but there's one thing i did notice is that all the areas in my body where i was the inflammation middle of my back just the, all the irritations was was gone I mean, I literally didn't feel it, but I ached in all my joints where they had actually done the trigger point. Yeah. Now I was like, man, I hope this doesn't stay with me. It's like it's worse than what I felt like before with all the soreness. It was a big fucking needle. Yeah. yeah. So they end up taking me back in, and they they hooked me up with these IV bags. They put a bunch of bags in me that also got stem cells in them, and it goes into my body, and it starts to break up. It's supposed to help break up all the irritation in your body. I get on a plane, I fly home. Two months later, I'm doing a video. That says I'm coming back to wrestling. I mean, I, that's how fast it was. I literally went over to Australia and did a year to two years over there doing pro wrestling, suicide dives, hurricanes, stuff that I could not do, not even attempt to do, let alone work out. And that's literally right from that point in time. I started my journey down the road and each and every single month to this day, I feel like I'm getting better. This stuff I've always said, bio accelerator, um, is the only place that I believe that will give you what you need to be able to physically recover from your injuries as an athlete. The stuff that we go through, not the normal guys that go in and get it done. has got a little injury here and a little injury there. Guys that are severely beat up. This is the ticket, man, and I am not blowing smoke, man. This is the real deal. I guarantee anybody that goes there will come out feeling better than they did before, much, much better. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. That's like, uh, 
And you, uh, what were your limitations before you went there? Oh, I couldn't. I'm 35. I mean, I was, I was doing, I mean, I benched, you know, six, you know, I was benching 600 pounds along with dumbbells that were like, you know, 150 pound dumbbells I was benching at one time. That's when I was stronger, right? Now I'm actually benching 120s. Before that, I was only doing 35s. I, and barely because it just hurts so much. I mean, and that's why I literally stopped working out. It was like, I felt like I couldn't do it. You go into the gym and you feel even worse coming out because you can't lift. <laughs> You know, it messes your ego up because you're like used to lifting so much weight that now you can't even lift your arms. Yeah, you, now you're doing the yoga. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, hurts to do yoga. It just tears Take you down. Your yoga mat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can you just grab my mat for me? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're tights and your yoga mat. It's like, oh, I'm changing directions. <laughs> yeah, but it was a real deal, man. And, and um, like I said, it, until you do it, you just don't know. Man. And I, mean, I can tell you all as much... It's the same thing that I'm saying that people said to me a hundred times. I just don't get it. I don't believe it, right? Until you actually do it. That's when you get it. So when uh how from you when you got there, how long was the process? Two two days? A week. A, a week. week. A week, yeah. Yep. One week and then after that it's constantly always rejuvenating. It's not it doesn't stop. It constantly keeps rejuvenating. And keeps rebuilding all okay. the things you had. So you go back, or you're just seeing inside your body it's rejuvenating. Your body, my body's rejuvenating. I don't know when it stops because it hasn't stopped now, and it's been six years, I think. Yeah. So it's 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 constant. Wow, that's so awesome. So it's it's it is it's it to me when I look at it. People talk about a miracle drug or a fountain of youth. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So Dan had uh, some stuff done with uh, stem cells, also on his knees, with uh, really good results, right? Wake yeah, up, just yeah. but they're just uh, just localized shots, so not like the the big IV process that uh, Ken went through. But uh, no, I yeah, I had some real scary times that were happening. I, I kept thinking that uh, this is it. I, you know, life is going to come to a really screeching halt. But uh, it literally uh, the stem cell shots gave me my life back to where I'm back on the mats and I'm teaching and uh, uh, doing what I enjoy doing. So. I'm I'm really happy about that. Uh, especially uh I keep makes me wonder if I if I was to do the uh, actual IV portion, how much more would that give me? I mean it's uh the inevitability, I don't think you can turn back the entire clock of time because father time is gonna win out no matter what. Um but if it can if it can give you a much more quality of life, Wait, you went to grade I'm more school. for you went that. To grade I mean, it's, uh, father time. <laughs> you went to grade school of father time. So, uh, <laughs> you're both kicking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no mercy. So, so, so anyway, you're, you're, we're, we're done with the peanut gallery over there. <laughs> the company is well, bio ahead, Sorry. Go ahead, Mr. Fry. You're yeah. interrupting me, kid. <laughs> <laughs> bio accelerator. Yeah, it's it's Bio Accelerator, and it's out of Medellin, Colombia. Um, when you do it here in the states, I'm not putting it down because it obviously worked for right. Dan. But when we're talking about some extreme, like yeah, necks, uh, uh, high level athletes, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> Rich, you stirred the pot over there, man. Yeah, no. It's it, it's it's more about the I think the more of the extreme kind of injuries, and not just the extreme, but multiple 
I mean, like you've got seven things like that just are going on. And I think that when you go in with the, in the U S there's just a certain level of these cells that they will give you. And if you have a lot of things that are going on, um, they're not going to give you what you need in one treatment. They may give it to you in seven or eight treatments, but you know, that that's a lot of time to spend in a hospital. Right. Whereas you go in one time here, they're going to give you everything for everything in your body that you need in that one treatment. It's easier to get babies in Medellin too. So, oh no, no, this is your own stem cells. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, Different like, conversation. That's, hey, that's one conversation I did have uh, when they actually came to me uh, about doing these stem cells. Was that because obviously I knew nothing about it. So when I started doing the research, there was this you know abortions and aborting babies, and I was like, whoa, you know. And then so I went and said, hey, dude, I'm I just I'm not going to support that. He goes, no, 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 no. We do it from the umbilical cord. We don't do anything with the babies and that. It all comes from the umbilical cord. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, cool. Because, and the uh, placenta. The placenta. Yeah. 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 So you, you get to eat the placenta? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like hey, the, you know, let me tell you what. Well, if it like, did what it did for me, I'd eat it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of eating placentas, uh, what was the name of the company you worked with? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, Give you your ch- chances to spot this. He didn't man. put his finger up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who did you work with, Dan? Well, it was actually uh, just two two different companies right there in Arizona. So I was really happy. Is right there in Arizona where I used these uh, companies and uh, uh, I, two different two different types of companies. The second company was more attuned as to what uh, Ken was talking about. You know, utilizing. The umbilical cord and the placenta. So uh, the uh, the first company was more of an artificial type of uh, stem cell application. I still had great results on my knees, but uh, it didn't really bounce back my hip the way I thought it would. And uh, so I did. I ended up going to, for some additional shots, uh, and uh, that has made a world of difference. So you don't want to give the name, <laughs> but uh, I, I I can't. Again, I can't think of the, the the one company has gone out of business here right now. But I I, I will I will if I mean as, as people are, are watching this, they can simply just get they can just get in contact with uh, Donna Fry's toxic masculinity, and we will uh, we can fill those questions uh, that afterwards. But uh, that way we will get some people kind of moving. But uh, I am going to you guys were bad mouth shit bad mouthing uh, yoga there now i'm going to talk to uh diamond dallas page and i think he'll uh he'll have something different to say about you know because he teaches yoga for men <laughs> is, there, is there a thing is that a thing for men for men <laughs> real men or uh, <laughs> or people identifying yes actually men. Di- di- diamond dallas page does yeah i say diamond dallas page does have a program called uh ddp uh yoga and it's yoga for men, and uh, he actually has taken a couple people underneath uh, his wing that probably would not be here today, and uh, <laughs> and, and they've helped turn their their world around for him. So, so the next uh, thing we're going to do is, is called is masculinity yoga. Masculinity yoga. You got to wear your old uh, PE coach's uh, yeah. uh, uh, tight shorts. I don't, know if the you know? world, I don't know if the world is ready yet to see Dodd Bryant a pair of leotards. 
uh, no, yeah. I'll just put on a singlet, you know, yeah, t-shirt underneath yeah. of it, you know, and a weight belt. Yeah. Old Vision Quest. <laughs> right, wrestling yeah. shoes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave the headgear off, though. <laughs> so what, what's the name of the place you went to uh, in Medellin? Uh, Bio Accelerator. Bio Accelerator. Bio Accelerator. Yeah. They have a website, you think? Yes. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. You can look it up. Bio Accelerator. Um, and there's uh, representatives here in the U.S. So actually, there's one here right in Arizona. Um, in fact, as we had contacted him, uh, I believe it was t- today or, or last night, uh, we had talked to him. And so he was actually going to uh, meet with uh, Don, except for he had some some family issues, and he apologized for not being able to make it, but he's definitely would would love to be able to meet with you. So. Yeah, some more interesting customers, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> more, more qualified. Boy, does he, he has no idea what he's coming. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> they got the the hospital, the, 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 uh, the mall, the hotel, the morgue, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, that, the, the cemetery that's, that's and for the jail. The, that's for that's for the thing when they don't work out so well. Yeah, you, you just keep <laughs> you shuffling. If you make it all the way down the end, you're yeah. still fine. You got to sign a waiver when you go in there; it could cause death. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, but sometimes that might not be too bad. You know, right. some, some days you wake up and you, if you're ready. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you're like looking ready. for the Lord, light. Take me now. <laughs> Where's yeah. that light? I'm supposed to be walking uh, towards. It's got to be better than this. Yeah, well, no, I was there. I've I've woken up like that bad, you know, and just like, fuck this, I'm done, you know. Yep, been there, man. Tired of this nonsense. Just before I got that, man, that's exactly how I felt. I just felt so, just like, really, this is it? Like, and, uh, and, uh, man, it just was a perfect timing. This is not the way I want to go out. No, man. I mean, I was doing, I sell out stadiums and arenas, you know. And now I came and <laughs> yep. make it to the pisser enough. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, dude, man, don't make me live this long. Take me now. If yeah. this is the way it is, just just do it now. Yeah. yeah. So, it only goes downhill from here, huh? Yeah, well, that's what they, you know, you get around 60 years old, man. It's it's like people say, yeah, it's just starting out like, no, brother, we're going down the other side. Yeah. <laughs> it's just slowing it down and enjoying it. Yeah, well, they, one, one of the times they did. Well, well they can't have they get. Have they given you any idea as to they've had to have other people that they've, they've uh, gone through this program so far? Uh, what's their feedback been as to how long will this continue to do good for your body, or does it simply does it just last a, a certain time period, or does it help just rejuvenate and then you're still going to go so long and then teeter off? I mean, I just elaborate a little bit more if, if you can i'm just I, i'm interested in, in this aspect yeah what it does is it helps rejuvenate all the the damage and the torn tissues and muscles and different things and there. it's supposed to actually rejuvenate that and when it rejuvenates it doesn't deteriorate and go away obviously though as you continue to keep living it's obviously going to keep deteriorating but what it does is that what it actually builds it up to where you're you're at your point where you're normal and then, of course, as time goes on, just like with anything in life, it's going to go away sooner or later. But it's not like you lose the effect of the bioaccelerator. You don't lose the effect. It's already built. It takes like I've been it's been about what six years now or something like that. And it, I feel like I'm constantly still getting better. And I'm sure that there's going to be a time because 56, 57 years old now, um, just like with any age, you're going to start. 57? 
57. Jeez. Yes, it's going to regress. There's no question <laughs> we're going to regress. But I'm having a better quality of life now because I got it done. And that's the thing. And if I want to go back in and do it again, as I get older and it start and I start maybe going back and I haven't to this point, but if I start going back into that point where I was at where I just I can't get up and I don't feel good and I can't work out, I can go back and get it done again. And it will help me live better even from that point on. Each time I can still go get it done to make me feel better. All I'm saying is, is it just doesn't disappear when you get it done. It's not like a drug where it wears off and then all of a sudden you still have these injuries. It's not like that. It's literally like it regrows and rebuilds your, your, the things that you've damaged. Yeah, and those things aren't going to go away, right? No, you no. build, rebuild cartilage. It's not going to go away. It's not going to, yeah, in, in, it's not going to melt two away. Years, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, but as time, as we get older, those things are going it, to, it's just nature. That's just the way it is. We cells, deteriorate. Cell split. And yes. All that good stuff yep. continues. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where we come in with the, I mean, if you want to get even more extreme, you come in with the hormonal medicines, you know, because we our testosterone and our growth hormone in our own bodies yeah, deteriorate, <laughs> right? Quit a long time ago. Right. Yeah. So in order to do that, you got to go in into doctors, and they literally prescribe you things to be able to enhance your hormonal, which is your testosterone and your growth hormones in your own body to be at a normal level. If you at your age, whatever your age is, just so that they're even and at an even kill, so you're not being depressed and you're not feeling ucky. It keeps everything balanced. So that's just another part of being healthy is being able to use that age management type living along with the bioaccelerators, the stem cells, which is it really is taking 20 years off your life to so that you're literally 20 years younger. That'll put you what at 50. <laughs> I'm not good at math, but 50, right? It's, it's better than 70 if you're at 70. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. I remember the, uh, one, of, one of the times I went in for my back, the doctor said, you know, these backs are just designed for 70 years of life, you know. He said, and you got a 85-year-old woman's back. You know? <laughs> tore it up. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. And I started 17 when I tore mine up. 17 right. years old, I tore my neck up and... You know, and from that point on, I, and I, and I've always been this way. I think fitness is very important to, you know, having quality of life. And, uh, so I've always done that. And, and, and a lot of people, when they, they look at me, I've always been accused of certain things. But the one thing I can tell you is I have never abused anything. I always have been under a doctor's care, have always done it the right way. And that's why I'm able to still look the way I look, train the way I train now, and still stay healthy. I saw you abuse some ribs last night, Ken. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I admit I was guilty on that. <laughs> but uh, uh, there was a doctor in the house, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> Dr. Don. Dr. Don. <laughs> with the skulls you, you missed it, you missed a good meal last night dr quinn medicine uh, dan dan missed a good meal last yeah, night yeah but uh apparently he was he was afraid of coming down to tucson well he's living high and mighty over in cold water or, or <laughs> where are you hiding at now <laughs> where are you where are you hiding out at i'm in cold water michigan today <laughs> wow okay Cold water, Michigan, my friend. Is that the mayor's office you're in? Yeah. Well, here let's let's talk politics for a moment. How's that? Okay. Let's, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let's, excuse uh, myself. Let's change up the topic for a moment. Let's let's let's, let's move away from uh, let's move away from uh, the fighting world. Let's move away from stem cells. Let's talk about politics for a moment here, especially 
and uh, today's uh, current state of affairs, like what has happened here in the United States, you know, how people have to be so PC. We have to watch what we say. Anything that comes out of your mouth can be uh, either ratio or profiling or bias or, or pol- politically incorrect. Uh, uh, we're now being told that we should allow, Oh, well, allow our, our children to declare their own uh, sexuality. You, you Now we have uh, men that can right. identify as being a women, and they're now competing into uh, women's sports. What do you think about some of this uh, craziness, Ken, that's, uh, that's happening in our world today? Yeah, well, I can honestly say that I don't think it's fair for... Wait, you have a chance to have a comeback now. You know? yeah, I'm not going there. <laughs> uh, I, I just think it's unfair that you can say that a, a man... <laughs> who has all the all the physical abilities of a man to be able to compete in a woman's event. To me, I think that that is wrong. You're taking away a woman's dream who has worked her whole life to compete in the Olympics and take a gold medal and then allow a man to step in and actually take that from him. That's a change. You know that? Because I've worked my whole life for my dreams, and I had to take it all away by a woman. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think it's yeah, fucking yeah, it. fuck it. fair and square. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I see where Don's coming from. Yep, yep, yep. I'll take the high road on that. <laughs> I got, I got no pity. For None. <laughs> yeah, I just, like I said, I, it's just, it's hard to, it's just hard to know what it took, what, especially with what I've, I know about sports, with what I know about, uh, competing and, and reaching that level of being great and then have it snatched away from you, uh, from something that shouldn't be there. That's just the way I feel. I agree 100%, but like you said, we're going to do for different, uh, for <laughs> yeah, different right. reasons. Yeah, uh, unless it's a divorce. <laughs> no, I mean, we all, we're all getting our dreams and, you know, our future and our past and our present. It's all getting snatched away from us one way or another, you know. And it's just, it's insane. It's not no right or wrong. It's not fair. It's Fucking insane is what the deal is. Yeah, and uh, if if you try to speak up for what's right, you're racist. Right. So because right. that's their argument. Yeah, they have no legitimate argument, so right. they've got to go to that. You yeah. know, and the ones that are usually saying that are the ones that are actually racist. Right. 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 Yeah, they're throwing the stones. Yeah. Yep. yep. It's a it's a it's a it's a conversation that there's no way you can win it. You just can't right. win it. It's how it's designed, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then and, and until, you know, we have somebody that uh, has some power or at least some position uh in the government to start supporting um the people that literally understand what is right and the rights of those, um, we're just we're banging our heads against the wall. And, and until we can get somebody out there in the White House or in that position to be able to allow people to be able to to speak their minds, um, then it's basically just just beating your head against the wall until it, that happens. The culture the culture has already been built. It's already been built. So if somebody says my my son is four years old and he's gay, we know he's gay and with it's okay. We want to leave. And if I stand up as a man and say, "How the hell do you know 
does he know he's gay? He doesn't even know what the hell sex is. You know, how the hell? And now I'm toxic to masculinity. You know what I mean? Now, now I'm the bad guy because, you know, uh, I don't know, just, it's ridiculous. It's just, uh, yeah, well, you you can't say anything nowadays without, you know, somebody getting offended. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, I had an issue where I was going through the airport and, you know, um, I'm all about treating people how they want to be treated. You know, if you feel like you're a woman and you want to be treated that way, even though you're a man, I got no problem with that, right? I got no problem with that. That's what you want, fine. But on the other hand, on the flip side of that, then you need to make sure that I'm I'm able to treat you that way. Because if you're actually um, put in a position to where this person that literally considers himself a woman is now working at a TSA security department and is searching men. How do I get the opportunity to treat you the way you want to be treated if you want to be that woman, but now you're actually searching me? And I'm supposed to say, well, well, hold up now. You you want to be treated a certain way, but now you're putting your hands on me because now you're in a position of power, and I have no right to say, wait a minute, I don't want this person doing that because this person wants me to treat them as a woman. But if I speak that, then now all you're of a sudden homophobic. I'm a homophobic. And I'm like, well, hold on. You're not getting on an airplane. You're, right. you're going to that little room you're and you're going to get searched pretty. properly. Right. <laughs> and it's not like I don't want because I, if that's what they want, fine. I got no problem. That's their world. But then why put me in that position to where now all of a sudden you're saying you, you're a woman. You want to be treated as a woman. But now you're being hired as a man to search other men while they're going through the airport. And to me, that's like a very contradicting uh, position because we're being told that, no, if they feel like they want to identify as a woman, then you must treat them as that. No problem. But then don't put them in a position of a man. Well, where does it end? Does it, does it end with uh, the guy, uh, uh, say, a PE coach? Starts to identify as a woman. Now he's handing out towels in the woman's locker room because he identifies as a woman. Is that, I mean, right. is that going to go over? Right. That's that's where I that's where I have the the hard time. Whereas you're being asked to, to do something, which you're okay with doing because if that's what they want, it it affects me none. So if that's how you want to be, fine. But then don't confuse me. Don't put me in a position where now I don't understand what you want, how you want me to treat you now. <laughs> yeah, right. don't ask me to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. So yeah, so it's very, very confusing for 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 a lot of us. We're we're okay with however this is happening, but th- then you're actually doing something else that isn't lining up with what you're asking us to do. Right. What do you think, Dan? Well, no, again, uh, spot on. It's uh, to me, it's like you're, you're either man or you're you're a woman. It's uh, to me, there there really isn't uh, too many fuzzy lines. You might, uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to identify, I, well, just like what Ken said, I could care less if you want to do naked cartwheels. Just do them in your backyard. Don't do them in the front yard. I don't want to watch you doing your naked cartwheels. So it's uh, don't do it you know, the airport. <laughs> most people, that that is that is what. <laughs> that is why most people want to come to the United States because we are the land of freedom. We have we have so many rights here that if you were to do and or say 
some of the things that we're just talking about right now. But you were to do that in some of these other countries, well, you would either be shoved off to the gulag or they will take you out back somewhere and either behead you or whatever. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of people want to come here. And because you know that you can have the, the Rainbow Coalition can march right on the United States. You can have anyone that, that can march on the United States and have their rights uh, be, be uh, heard. We we allow people, we allow even stupid people to say stupid things, <laughs> yeah, well, point blank. Because I mean, we're all here doing it. Freedom. Yeah, but yet, uh, yeah, well, well <laughs> yes, we are. And we're allowed to air, but see, a lot of people... A lot of people would, would be like, going, oh, my gosh, that's taboo what they're talking about here. That's taboo what they're talking about there. No, we're, we're at least no. we're strong enough men in our convictions to simply bring it out in the open. Those people that are scared to even talk about it, that's the worst kind. Yeah. I think if you, got, if you if you have an opinion, bring it, bring your opinion forth. You, know, you got these people that, uh, you know, they want to vote in secrecy or whatever, huh. you know. <laughs> Be a little bit, have a little bit more backbone, and that's what we lack in this country is backbone and balls. Yeah, and 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 to speak on that too, when you think about that, though, I, that I also have an understanding, right? I also have an understanding of of some of the pressure that some of these people go through. Um, they could lose everything. I mean, they lose everything. Some of these people that are are dependent on fan base. If they come out and start talking about different things on their on their platforms, Twitter will go in and Facebook will go in and cancel them. They will cancel them. So every everything that they've done up to that point with all the things they built up and all the things they've done, because they come out and they have an opinion on something, then they get completely canceled. That's their whole income. A lot of these guys are making a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year. And they're going to be taken off the platform, and they're going to be canceled. I think we're having a senior moment here. <laughs> Not sure what just happened. Uh, I don't know, but uh, maybe we pissed them off, you know, with the old guy stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe they just uh, they didn't like what we were talking about, you know. And uh, the estrogen level in their body was too high, and. Uh, <laughs> did somebody say everyone with a big ass mustache walk out of the room did, did i miss anything yeah you, you and you and your buddy got up at the same time well, and walked again, out i, of the I room. know that don fry went out for one direction <laughs> well no I, I'll, I'll let you know okay I, i'm actually back here i'm back here in Coldwater, michigan i'm actually inside my office of my training room and uh my son-in-law and my daughter and two of my grandsons just stopped by, and they're inside the training facility so that they can. It's sort of referred to as the insane asylum. It's padded walls, padded <laughs> flooring, so they can go in there and they can go crazy, and they're not going to get hurt. There you go. And they also have a a, a blow up uh, uh, house, bouncy house that they can jump into and have a lot of fun. So it's. Uh, I mean, Ken, how many grandchildren do you have nowadays? Fifteen. Fifteen grandchildren. Fifteen? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's 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 a lot of me. What what's uh youngest to oldest? Yeah, my oldest is in college right now. Uh she's nineteen. Uh the youngest was just born February eighteenth. Wow. 
Oh wow, yeah, you've got you got quite the quite the gauntlet, yeah. So mine mine are all in the the very young ages here. So uh, I, I just kind of try to tell kids just to uh, wait a little bit, uh, you know, on, on marriage and that uh, because too many people. I think it's sort of been great in a lot of ways uh, that uh, kids should you know out of college and they start looking to get married. I think no, live your life for a little bit, uh, travel, uh, do some things. And then, uh, then if you want to get uh, settled down, do it then. It's uh, I think that we we tend to sh- we tend to lead people to think that they have to do things by a certain age, think a certain way, do a certain things, and it's uh, completely wrong. Right. Like for example, going to college. I don't think a kid should go to college right out of high school because they know no difference from what they've been doing all along, except that mom and dad are not no longer around. So now you get a lot of people, a lot of young people, they get in trouble because they start partying and they uh, flunk out of college and they have all these uh, bills and stuff like that. Whereas if for one or two years, if they would have either gone into the military, which I'm a big advocate of, go into the military or simply go to work and you realize I hate my boss. <laughs> I hate my job. So now when I go to college, I will really apply myself in a much more productive manner. And you'll probably get out of there a lot more quicker to where, and you, you'll have a lot more goal orientation as to what you really want to do with life where most 18 year olds going to college, they don't have a clue. No, I, I changed my, my major every semester. <laughs> <laughs> For, for the first four years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> like six years of college, shut the hell. <laughs> no, I think uh, Dan's right. You know, you've got to, you've got to get a chance to get out there in the real world and see what life is like working for a living, man. It sucks. I mean, you know, I mean, just working for the summer, you know, construction in the summer or what have you is completely different than doing it for real because you're still living with mom and dad. You you know, they're still paying your bills. You're not getting a real outlook on, on the real life. Yeah, you get to spend your money on whatever you want. Yeah, you know, go yeah. buy some new shoes, go do this, right. not pay your your bills and stuff and use right. you know use your whole check just to survive yeah. you know so that it's a it's a fake uh you you played marine for a couple of years right yeah. Yeah, yeah you know you gotta do what you gotta do yeah yeah i mean yeah. that was my one regret i didn't i didn't go in the military you know i wish i would have i, I did yeah, yeah. I, did. I was in the marines yeah. no shit yeah. Semper Fi, i didn't know that yep. yeah 89 uh so was it 80 88 89 yep yep did the three months um, <laughs> story behind it. <laughs> yeah. I broke my neck. I broke my neck. And when I signed up, I, they drew it. The recruiter said, don't tell them. Right. I didn't tell them. Uh, even though they shaved my head and there was holes in my head <laughs> from the halo I had on. And I got, uh, was like six, six, uh, not six weeks in, two weeks prior to, cause I went to the uh, San Diego one boot camp. MCRD San Diego. Yeah. You're Mount, a ho- you know, Hollywood, you know, Mount motherfucker, right? Of course, yes, right. So that's where we were at, and uh, the, the firing range and all that stuff. And I was platoon 
you know, how they change it. They were changing them all the time, yeah. right? The minute I got as a platoon leader where my bed was in the front and the, you had the barracks and the, yeah. where the officers the were duty in the hut. front. Yeah. I was in that the whole time, right? Most of the time they changed me in that all the time. But I was in it the whole time. And I had this PT score that was good through the roof. I mean, I was really physically gifted. And I was going through it, killing it. And <clears throat> two weeks prior to all this happening, there was this uh, – wasn't the senior drill instructor, but it was one of the assistant drill instructors pulled me in the office in front of the whole people where you can look into the window. Yeah. And so I was in there, and I was sitting down at the desk, and this guy standing up was a tall dude. And he said, hey, you know, your your grandfather died. And he was in the Air Force, right? And so he, he passed away. And so I got teary-eyed. And so he slams his hand down on the on the desk and says, what are you f- crying for? We're no crying. He just started getting really hyper. And, and and because I got into that that moment, I literally flipped the desk over and I attacked him. Uh, uh, and and your career. put a beating on him, right? Yeah. So... <laughs> And I, at that time, I was, I was weighed, I weighed, I, I was about 215, 217, and I was shredded because I was through the whole that boot camp. I was in good shape. And I just beat him, beat him down. So then they put me into this group where all these people that were jumping the fence trying to get to the airport. <laughs> I'm in with all these losers, and my senior comes in, and so he goes in front, which is, this is how it works. The, the Marines are not in charge. It's the Navy, Navy. the sick bay. And so they go in front of the sick bay to try to get me released because I wanted back in. I mean, why wouldn't I? I was in charge of everything. I mean, I was, and uh, they wouldn't, they, the risk of allowing me to complete uh, with the knowledge of me having a broken neck um, was too, in their, in their opinion, the Navy was too risky because if I got hurt, they would have to pay me for the rest of my life if I re-injured that and they knew that I had that injury. So I got, I didn't get a dishonorable, I got an honorable discharge from there. But it was, and this was when I was uh, eight, nineteen, twenty years old, twenty years old, because I've already played, played college ball. I'd done my college ball um, and gotten through that, and didn't know what to do. So I went in and My dad was completely against it because he thought I'd be a killer, you know. And uh, so when I got through there, uh, two weeks before graduation, beat up one of the drill instructors because he just caught me at a wrong time, and I ended up just thumping him, and then put me into that, and then tried to get out. My senior went to bat for me, but the sick base said no. The Navy, actually, the Navy doctors said no. So that was my extent into the military. But from that point on, uh, after I started fighting and becoming a uh, a star, um, I started doing um, actual, I trained their McMap program, mm-hmm. the Marine Corps Martial Arts program. I changed that program in Quantico. Nice. I literally went down there and changed their whole program, went down there, went through the, the training, taught all the guys stuff, and changed their program. Uh, and and years years and years before that, I got kicked out for beating up an instructor. So, but I, I had a long career after my fighting, and even only what was it uh, a couple weeks ago? We just got back from uh, um, Fort Polk, where we trained the army, and uh, and had a great session. I trained uh, five different companies. Um, That's funny. All if week. they could see you now, right? You know? Exactly. See what you missed out on, yeah. right? And and I, it was something I really enjoyed because. It was kind of like fighting, right, where there was a team and a camaraderie, and you were all in it together. And that's literally what the military made me feel like. And that's something I always gravitate towards is being around people and groups of people that literally have the same kind of ideas and concepts and bonding together and got each other's back. Yeah. Yeah. I was a, I was a truancy officer 
at the same junior high that I ditched every day for my whole eighth grade year. (laughs) What do you think about that, uh, assistant? I mean, uh, uh, what's a, uh, He's a teacher. He's a he's a he's a teacher. Teacher's aide. No, no, Dan's. You know, professor. He's a professor, Dan. What do you think about my truancy story there? Well, rather sad, sad, sad. There, making some big notes. Here, I got I've got some tissue for you if you want some. Okay, yeah. Oh, you have all the toilet paper. Let's let's people. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> think he hangs out in cold water Michigan for the for the donuts? Yeah, don't don't, don't be crying when the next crisis takes place. You should be know who holds all the goods. <laughs> that makes me want to blow my nose. He's going into the bathroom well, wrapping can, around his can, waist. Well, any other projects you did? Ken, what other projects do you have coming up? I mean, other than Valor Boxing here right now, are there any other projects that you have in the works? I know you've written, you've written at least what two or three books. Yeah, three books. Tell, tell us about the the, the books and uh, if you have what other projects you have coming up. Yeah, we got three books out. One was done earlier, Lions Den, and then another one kind of later in the Lions Den, and then the one that was most recently uh, put out. Um, it was written, and I and and the thing with the that one, the last one that was just done, was that I'm not a part of that book, and the only reason why I wasn't a part of that book was because I felt like because he had actually um, written the book and then released it before I got a chance to proofread it, uh, which was just didn't 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 make or sense. Shit. Yeah. yeah. Everything in there is real. Like I'm not denying any of that stuff that happened because I'm transparent. I I, I know what I did, but the when you read it, it looks like that everything happened while I was fighting Dan and while I was fighting you and while I was fighting all these people that I was just partying and that the Lions Den was all about partying and no training and that to me it felt like that, no question, but that's just not the real story. The real story is is that there were times that I we trained hard. And then there were times where I had issues in my life where I went out and I just was irresponsible and did stupid things and things that had happened in my family. So all these things, the, the, the stories in there are all true, except for they were put in the wrong places. Like they just looked like they were all run together and like it was just from one, from the beginning to the end, it was one big party. And if you know, the accomplishments that I had in fighting, I don't think anybody's able to accomplish what I accomplished doing what they seem to think I did the whole time. It's just not possible. And so that's the only reason why I didn't step in and really support the book, not because it wasn't true, but because I believe that the the timing and that when the things happened were not very clear and when they happened, how they happened. Yeah, you should let, let you proofread it, you know. Right. It's my book. Right. Yeah. So I kind of stepped away from it because Jonathan Snowden is a great writer. I mean, and, and he did a great, great job on the book as far as the content. But it just would have been nice if he would have allowed me to say, dude, it didn't, that didn't happen there. That happened here. Right. That didn't happen there. That happened here. So that when people read it, they're not getting a misconception about who I am as a fighter and the hard work that I put in to train and the actual Lions Den fighters 
um, the way it's written looks like it was just a big party. And to me, that did it disjustice. Makes a better Hollywood story, though. Yeah, huh? right. Exactly right. That's, right? What, that's what it is. Yeah, that's exactly what it was about. It was about just entertainment. Didn't matter about when it happened or how it happened. Just that it was entertaining. Period. Didn't even change the names to protect the innocent. No, and, and I didn't want that anyways because I was very transparent. I told him, talk to whoever you want to talk to. Because he was not going to get the stories unless I gave my permission. Because all my guys called me and said, hey, this guy wants to talk to me. Is it cool? I said, yeah, absolutely. Tell him the truth because this is about more of a, a story about – uh, obstacles, things that I went through, and then how I overcome them. So it, it, we got to have the bad parts in order for people to see the good stuff. No. So it wasn't like I was. I wanted them to hide anything. I wanted the. I wanted them to tell the truth, and they did. Like I said, the only problem was that I think he he because of COVID and because of the time he wanted to get the book out while people were still at home and staying at home. I have nothing to do, yeah. Right. I have nothing yeah. to do. I'll just buy his book, and read it. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yep. Try, try yep. to try to put it together in my format yes know? yeah and how he wanted it to be written in a way to where it was it looked like it was a mess and right. because it seemed like that's more entertaining rather than and i don't think it would have made a difference if you would just made sure that it, there was breaks in between and that it was more it wasn't so confusing about where it happened how it happened it just it was just kind of all of it just flows together and it's like man that's a long career that i had so it didn't happen like all of it happening one chain like a chain party chains <laughs> oh yeah i can't party tonight and then he went out and fought and won and then he started party it's like man there was so much that happened in between that that caused me to do those things and uh, those things were never really talked about of, uh, of how i was led into those different situations yeah, there's some things you want to forget. You know? Yeah, but but again, like I said, I was I was down for the truth. Uh, I just wish it would it was it would have been done more in a, a time of when the time frames were, how and why those time frames and how it happened in those time frames, rather than it just all be running together. Right. So, um, man, it's been awesome with you three guys here. I'd never never dreamed. Never dreamed that this would happen, you know, back in the day, right? You know, yep. I, I, by proxy, I spent a lot of years uh, rich, hating, hating rich, you, you know, rich. by proxy, man, fingers, seriously. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, his finger's up. Uh-oh. Dan has a moment. Yeah, Rich. Okay, I mean, hold on, hold on. What about you? By, by, uh, the, the, the small cheese here on the, on the cracker? No, no, no. no. Uh, well, uh, you, uh, you didn't have I the... I see how it goes. You didn't... Just you because didn't. I'm not there, I'm not there now. No, <laughs> you're not here, no. Uh, so showed up. Just to jump right back in there on some things. I mean, Ken, where can, uh, where can folks find you, like on uh, your social media, or if they want to get in contact with you, what uh, what's like a website or some of your social media just so that uh, people know that Ken Shabrak's still out there. And, and, uh, and we didn't know you were alive. Speaking you know. of engagements, <laughs> what else did you do? <laughs> there was ahead. a time where I didn't know either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, no, actually, it's KenShamrock.com. Uh, it's got all my social platforms on the Instagram, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all the, all the stuff. So you can just go to that one spot. And it also has an, a newsletter. We have newsletters that we deliver that you can get involved with on there. So go check out the website. Um, and there's all the, all the information's there. If you want to get involved as a fan, you want to be a part of the fan club, you want to be part of valorbk.com. That's another platform that we have, um, that is with our fighting. So if you're a fighter or if a person wants to be involved in fighting or be involved in the actual business itself, or if you're a fan, um, you can go to valorbk.com and, and it's got all the information and 
the stuff that we're doing right now where we're literally trying to find events, we're doing tryouts, all that information will be on there also. So you can go where, to Battle Where's the base town of? Uh, what is? The company. Where's the company? At Wyoming. Wyoming? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's because I think Wyoming, at least at that time, back when we did it, was the only state that allowed bare knuckle. Mm-hmm. So, but now there's, a, I think, four or five states now that actually allow bare knuckle. Right. So... It's starting to open up like the old UFC did where there was just a few states. Yeah. But it's starting to open up now. Yeah. 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 Well, UFC is funny as, you know, the joke was, yeah, you, uh, after the, after the fight, you either go to the after party or, you know, you go to jail, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. I mean, or, or to the hospital, either yeah. after party or hospital. <laughs> yeah. But then after, oh yeah, the jail. The jail, was right. Yeah. Yeah. They there. started arresting people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you do, if you do bare knuckle, you can get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> so. You hit him, you get arrested. Wait, this is a fight. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was like, we're actually doing a fight. But if you hit him with a closed fist, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no karate chops. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That was a crazy part then when they actually told us when, when, when me and Dan were supposed to fight in Detroit. Yeah. I literally said, okay, I'll just hit him open hand. And, and that was, in that fight, that was illegal. You weren't allowed to use your hands unless you had a glove on. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't, when did you hit him? And I was like, cause I said, okay, open hand. Nope. I could still get arrested for an open hand strike to the head. Really? Yep. Yep. Because you had to wear a glove. That's what they came in and said. Yeah. If you were going to punch, you had to wear a glove. Right, I, I knew um, McCarthy said, "Or we'll find you right. sometime." Yes, right. At which, but the, here that would have been fine too, except for just two weeks prior to that, over in Canada, over the bridge, right. they arrested guys for an event, and and I think that's what stuck in my head more than anything was like they literally did arrest somebody. If they hadn't have prior to that, then it would have been okay. Well, yeah, this company don't care. Yeah. Ah, they're just going to slap us on the wrist. Oh, can't right. slap on the wrist either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. What's up, Dan? Oh, the moment, the well, finger. Let me interject there on that note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that same note there when the when Big John was going from locker room to locker room and basically saying what went down in that uh, in court that day. Um. John and I already had this relationship where he simply knew that I was going to ask questions. So when he said that you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that, otherwise you will be warned. And so when he said that, I'm like, oh, well, John, how many times are you going to be warned before any action is going to take place? Because now it's kind of going, are we going to be just tippy-toeing in that red zone or are we going to be going stepping full on that, that red zone? I ended up watching the very first match after I think who was it that went out there and he hit like uh, oh, he half a dozen him. headbutts yeah. right in a row and and uh, and all I heard Big John was go warning warning <laughs> warning and I went going well I and, and I waited <laughs> to see the match was over nobody was waiting at the uh, the gate with the handcuffs to take him away I'm thinking well I'll just keep watching a few more matches to see how this kind of goes on here right now before I make up my my actual decision so what Dan is doing but is actually there was, Dan Dan I don't know if you remember this Dan what you're doing is is you're making it okay for you punching me yeah. <laughs> rationalizing it yeah well no, I, again I I well call it rationalizing or simply I, I, I always just always watch 
I always watch the first batch or two to see how referees are calling things because no two referees are, are alike. So I always would, would watch and, and, and hope you, you never knew what referee that you were going to get anyway, but you at least get an idea by then how are they calling things. So I, I was big about trying to watch – I thought Watch John, referees within those first couple matches. I thought John did, was doing all the fights. You, you got a long time to kill there for for the night. Was it John the only referee? Back then? Done? Was it John the only referee back then, or did they have two referees? Well, I mean, no, they they would have a couple referees. I mean, as time progressed, on more, more referees. Right, but I thought, but there was, time, uh, there was it, you know John. during during that. Again, during during the uh, the that uh, the, the the second match in uh, Detroit, I don't even know if Ken even heard me, but the Big John, B Ken had a full mount on me, had a full mount on me for almost like six minutes, and each time that Ken tried to lift up to rain down, or uh, with with whether it be open palms or not, I basically held on to his lat. So literally, he was trying to do like a push up with me. Parasited, holding right out to him, but like he's trying to lift me out up. Yeah, I never threw. And I saw Big John. I never threw any hands. I never threw any hands. You watch that, you'll see. I never threw any hands, even in the mount. I never threw anything. (laughs) Well, somebody hit me. Yeah, I I, I never threw any hands at all. Uh, Cross face, yes, cross face. I was doing that cross face like I normally do on top. Was cross facing and stuff like that, but I never, never sat up and threw any hands whatsoever. Yeah, you you can watch it. It's the truth. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, just during, just during. Well, one of the funny segments of that there was as I'm underneath you, I see out of the corner of my eye, I see Big John, and he's he's walking around, he's kind of looking right there, and for just a moment there, I pop my head out, out from underneath your body, I look right up at him, and I go, "It's a hell of a way to make a buck," and I hop right back underneath him, and he just he just shook his head, he just couldn't believe I, I came up with a a one liner like that. Yeah, I didn't know what you said, but I knew I, you, I knew you I, were I talking to him. him. I knew you were talking to him because like I was sitting on top of you and I was trying to just trying to control you from you rolling me. And I knew that you slipped your head out there and said something to him. And I I didn't know what it was. I knew you said something like, I don't, and I thought you were saying something like, well, he ain't doing anything. Stand us up. (laughs) There's no danger. Right. No, I I was, I was just hitting him with the little one-liner that he come to expect out of me anymore. So that was that was all I was doing. Right. I didn't I didn't want to let him down. <laughs> right. Well, here, I got, here's the question for you, Ken. Now, just talking about the UFC in general, you have Horry and Gracie, who is the matchmaker. Um. You've got the UFC Hall of Fame. You've got Hoyce Gracie, who is who's, who's, who is inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, first. And uh, to me, I, I keep thinking, I, I want to get your thoughts and ideas as to what did you feel the whole UFC was about, especially in those early shows. Yeah, what no, was it really all about? Yeah, no question. I think as we look back on it now, I mean, I think we know it was a, it was basically an advertisement for Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, it was a paid yeah. advertisement. Yeah, right? absolutely. Or and the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And it was a whole setup too, because even going into that first event, they must have changed it like four to five times on who I was supposed to fight, which they already knew how I was going to fight and how they were going to place Hoist in me because I was the threat to Hoist, and they knew that. Yeah. And so going in there, I literally didn't know who I was fighting or when I was fighting, and then they told me that I couldn't wear shoes. 
Like I could, and I've always, even in Japan, I wrestled. Uh, in Japan, I wore shoes. I had never been on a mat without shoes. And so in my mind, which was ignorant on my part, well, that ain't going to stop me. Like, not knowing how slippery that was really, because when I fought Pat, I, I had to tight waist him. And I had to kind of corkscrew him and, and trip him to get him down because I tried to step and get him and my foot kept slipping even as I had the tight waist. And that's when I realized at that time, like, oh, this is, this is a little more difficult than what I had actually thought. And so there was no question that this, the, and anybody that was in it will tell you that they, it was supposed to be no holes barred and no rules. Right. Anything goes. Right. The minute we get in there, they hold a rules meeting. Well, yeah. whoa, hold yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Hold up. I thought this was, was no rules. Like, and they literally say, you, for, especially for you got guys that, that you, that have, they make money with their hands. So you got Gerard Godot and you got um, oh, Art Jemerson. And they're both guys that fight with their hands and they make big money with their hands. And now they're being told that they can't tape their hands. Like they can't tape their hands. And you're thinking, well, hold up. I thought you said there were, there, there were no rules. And they took my shoes away. They took away um, oh, uh, one of the karate guys, took away his kick pads, right, that he wanted to wear kick pads, which – Probably yeah. because he had a padding on there and he could kick him in the head and not hurt his shin. Right. Um, so there were a lot of those things that were being going on where they were literally taking things out. And you were thinking to yourself, hold up. This is supposed to be no rules. Well, then. Well, when I fought, uh, first time I fought uh, Gary Goodridge, you know, I grabbed hold of the cage. Let go of the cage. There's no rules. Oh, well, yeah. You know, why? Yeah. Right. So you're thinking to yourself. He's making shit up while he's in there. Every know? time. Like, and that's exactly what the first one was, was like they were literally massaging it to fit whatever right. they needed for Hoist to win. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, when I went into fight Hoist and with no shoes on, when I was, when I actually shot on him and I was actually scrambling because I had his ankle and I was scrambling to get back to my knees to sit back with his ankle, I had no footing. Like, I literally was slipping off the mat. Like, a wrestling, when I had my shoes on, I could post on my feet and use the side of my shoe to get leverage to be able to come back around, sit back for that leg. I wasn't able to do that. My feet were slipping. And so, as I tried to roll up, that's when he rolled the gear around my chin, my neck, and he choked me with it. And here I was told, no shoes. Guys can't tape their hands because they're, the shoes are a weapon. But yet, I just got choked with the gi. Yeah. That was used as a weapon. (laughs) So, yeah, and it was. It's exactly, it was that. And again, you can't not hate him for it. It was beautiful. Yeah, smart. Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it was beautiful. It was a smart move. Didn't you always have wrestling shoes on, Dan, right? Uh, They allowed that when you were fighting on early. Yeah. Well, they 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 did, but uh, the the only thing that they told me was if you wore shoes, you're Couldn't not kick. allowed to kick or stomp. And I'm thinking, well, what what is Dan ever losing on this? I don't kick or stomp anyway. But uh, like what Ken was saying, though, the traction that you can get on that surface made the world a difference because it's kind of like going out there. You can have on a vital surface; it's a vital tarp. If you throw any little bit of sweat on there, now to have any kind of footing on to you, you're not going to have any kind of footing. But just like what Ken is saying, that the rest of the shoes they have this rubberized sole to it, even up on the side. To where as, as if you as you shoot up on the side of the shoe, you can still get great uh, great momentum. So 
I, I was a big advocate of, of wearing shoes up to the point that I could no longer wear shoes as the sport changed from no hose barred to mixed martial arts. It's not like they flipped the, the light switch on and it changed in all the different states. It basically kind of just slowly progressed from state to state to state that there would be sometimes I would be in a cage some night. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this move. And I, as I'm holding my, my opponent down, I actually have to look up the referee and go, hey, ref, am I allowed to do this? I'm tipping my hand to my opponent, but I wasn't. I didn't want to occur any uh, any you know violations that I could possibly get disqualified for. So again, that was just the I, the sportsmanship uh, portion of me that came through at that point. But I I really wanted to hear Ken because uh, I mean that that's all it really ever was was a marketing tool for selling Gracie Jiu Jitsu franchises. They made more money off of the Gracie Jiu Jitsu franchises than anything else. But the, the thing is. And, and Art Davey was left in the dark on this because he was he was he was a businessman. He wanted to bring this thing to come to life, but he wasn't a matchmaker. He didn't really understand the athlete and the athletic portion of it. And that's where he he, he had heard about the Gracies, the Gracie Challenge, and he had met uh, Jorge Gracie, and that's how that partnership came there. So I actually look at that Art as being very naive uh, from from the. Uh, from the athletic perspective, it did all this part. And uh, so I, I hold him harmless. And yet I, I look at Horian as he took took advantage. And, and you had, just as Don was saying before, you had to tip tip your hat to him. You know, it worked for the Gracies. And, and they, uh, yeah, a lot of people know them. And they, they had the opportunity to do a lot of things. But is that the most complete form? No, it's not. No, no. And that's, that's been proven when you look at, when you look at the current athletes today, you know, where are there really the roots from? You know, you've got to be very multifaceted still, but when you look at the top 10 men per weight class, eight or nine of them have that amateur wrestling foundation and they had to acquire some striking skills and some, some, some submission skills. You usually have maybe one jujitsu guy, but when it comes to strikers, I mean, I mean, Conor McGregor really is the only guy that actually made that lineup, except for the uh, the one new heavyweight now, uh, yeah. uh, who is a, the, the knockout artist. Oh, no. I'm, I'm drawing, a big heavyset, big heavyset African American kid. He's a he's a beast. I mean, he literally, he's yeah, the guy, yeah, the, the got he's on quite the roll. Yes, got yeah. some knockouts. He's a monster. Yeah, he's a fucking six four. Yeah. He destroyed that wrestler, the big wrestler guy that came in to fight him on his last one, and he he, yeah. he got the best of him. I mean, I thought that was going to be a good fight. Yeah, but he caught him early. Yeah. Huh. And the guy's he's a monster. He's just a fucking monster. Six four, two forty. You know, he, Beast. it'd be he's hard just, to beat that guy. Yeah. You know? yeah, he's got good hands. Yeah, but uh, how's his ground though? You see, that's, he's working on his ground, but that's why I thought for sure this last fight he was going against a guy that had Olympic quality wrestling, uh, was same size as him, and I thought, okay, this is going to be a challenge. But he caught him early. Yeah, he caught I him mean, early. Yeah. You get punched, it changes yeah. all aspects yeah. of your game. Man. <laughs> you yeah. see him uh, uppercut uh, over Ream? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Made, made him look like a Pez yeah. dispenser. It, really? Yeah. yeah. Over, it over, Overeem, though, you, going into that, that's where you were going to find out whether or not Overeem still wanted to fight or if he right. still had the drive. And, yeah, you, you knew right then it was done. It was over. Yeah. yeah. Over Ream. 
He got taken around. He got overreamed. But he hey, he's a, he's he's a, he was unique in his style too. Yeah, he, he was did good. A great job. Yeah. Yeah, he stuck around for twenty or thirty years. Yeah, you know? yeah. He had a hell of a run. Yes, he know? did. Yes, he did. And he's, from my understanding, I don't know him personally, but my good friend of mine, JT, is good friends with him. Um, said he's he's a really nice guy. So, yeah. yeah. You like to hear that with guys that are yeah. have done some things in in MMA. They represented it well and and uh, good role models. Right. Yeah. yeah. You don't want you don't want people who have attitude problems. You know? <laughs> right. He's right. You don't want guys that are too nice. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are you trying to say there, Don? If I got an attitude problem here, no uh, sir, uh, no uh. sir, no 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 sir. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> I think it's the opposite. I think Dan is Sorry. too nice. Yeah. It's too nice, and maybe that's part of it, that yeah. he doesn't want his opponents being mad at him, so they can't hit him, so, you know, therefore... It, well, uh, he wants to go out for ice cream afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wants them to pay. <laughs> yeah. Good little gimmick well, there. Okay. Well, Don... And Don, because you we brought that up, I mean, just uh, with, with the last couple of weeks uh, ago, uh, Ken and I were back in New Jersey and New York for yeah. a couple of virtual signings. And uh, virtual signings plus all people coming in in person. Uh, we had one of his uh, – now, it was Steve. what yeah, exactly is the role of uh, – Steve. Steve. Yeah. I mean, he's shooting stuff – he's shooting a lot of footage for Valor, correct? Yeah, Valor and also our social media stuff, yeah. Ken? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, I mean, th- that's kind of what a unique thing because we end up going to Steve's parents' uh, ice cream parlor and we had <laughs> ice cream. Yeah. Finally, he gets there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and. And you and you know, and you know, Mr. Fry, yeah. did Dad's ever turn down ice cream? No, not if it's free. <laughs> I'm sure you filled your pockets with it before you left. Well, it was actually it was also to homemade, I just homemade ice cream. So his parents uh, own a shop up there, and yeah. it's good, man. They have good good ice cream. Wow. Yeah, it's Philadelphia. Yep. Yeah. So they got, now they have the uh, the the beast and uh, the most dangerous man uh, ice cream fudge Sunday or what? Yeah, we the ice, the ice, ice cream, cream tour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got soft. <laughs> soft serve. Yeah, we we, we got soft. <laughs> so how's the how's the, the, the bare knuckle fighting? All right, so are they taping it all or? That's just bare knuckle. That's the unique thing about our organization is that um, I, I there's I don't want tape on the hands because yeah. uh, these guys all start like once it gets around the wrist right. and they want it on the hands and so no tape you don't get any tape on the hands at all it's Not straight even on the wrist, bare knuckle huh? no straight bare knuckle because it gives you a false sense of security when you tape your your hand because it doesn't matter if you got tape on your hand right. so you're going to hit harder and you're going to break your hand yeah. so with no tape on there it's literally pure bare knuckle it's literally god-given talent you don't got any equipment or anything to help you feel like you can punch harder it's just what well you don't want to punch hard when you're when you bare knuckle cuz no. you break it so damn easy well, so the there's accurate. a technique and a style to where you 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 knock them out without 
damaging your your own self because you know you got to come out that next minute. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and is it Marcus of Queensbury rules or what are the rules? Yeah, it's basically um, it's it's going back to the traditional boxing. Except for what we do is we're not allowing clinching to happen. So if you get in close, you can't grab them or cut lock, you know, tie them up right. or any, you can't. You got to keep your, because it's bare knuckles. So your hands have to stay closed all the time. So even when you're blocking, you can't do this. They have to stay closed. So that way, you, it, when you go to throw a punch, your hands shouldn't be open. So if no you happen to have your hands here broken. and you do that, uh, you know, oh, it was an accident. <laughs> yeah. So if you say, okay, the minute you step in there, your hands are closed. You cannot open them. Uh, and you got to fight with them closed. Even when you get close inside, your hands have to stay closed. And it eliminates that accident of somebody getting poked in the eye or somebody yeah. saying it's an accident. Um, and, you, and it takes away a guy actually because they don't have gloves on. Now they're able to tie up with you and hold you and then recover if they get hurt. So by doing it this way, it makes the fight a lot faster. It makes guys have to fight. Right. Yep. But okay. But is it rounds or is yep. it Marcus Queensberry? No, it's rounds. Uh, so we, we start now. We're doing three, three, three minute rounds. Right. So, um, it, and and again, it's pure boxing. It's not the dirty boxing stuff where guys can grab you, hold you, and hit you. Uh, and, it, and, and if you watch the fights, they're, as opposed to the other ones that are doing it, it's a lot faster when you don't let them grab, when you don't right. let them clinch. Right. Yeah. Takes that whole downtime mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah, it's fast, and that's what people want to see. And I think as a fighter, I think if you get a guy hurt, the last thing you want to do is be able to have him grab your wrist or grab right. you and hold you. You're like, come on. Like, it's hard enough with him with gloves on. Well, how many warnings do you get then? Uh, you get one warning. The next one is a point, and that's disqualification. So it's immediate. We're not allowing because you know, as a fighter, one time is still hard. You give them two, that's 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 a fight. That's you being Especially able to change in three the rounds. Fight. You know, yeah. Well, three minutes too, like yeah. you know, and winning the rounds too. You you know, you got three rounds. If you if you lose two, last yeah, round don't matter, right. Right? right? Hey, I wanted to go back a minute. Hold on, is. You said you you wouldn't hit as hard because you wouldn't want to hurt your hand. Right. I've only known one person that didn't have the opportunity to hit somebody, or should I say had the opportunity to hit somebody but didn't hit them as hard as they could for any certain reason. Would you ever not hit someone as hard as you could, yeah. whether you're bare knuckle or not? Oh, absolutely, because the difference is when you're fighting, it's a smart. it's you being a smart fighter. Because the idea to hit somebody in the soft tissue area as they're moving is really difficult. So what you would do is you would be hitting the spot. As soon as you get them hurt, then you throw hard. Because now you know you got them stopped, right? And now you can finish them. But as far as when you're starting to fight, you're finding your target, right? You're finding your target. You do that even in MMA with short gloves on. You're not throwing hard. You're finding. But once you get them hurt, you know you've hurt them. Then you go for the kill. That's that's where the sweet science comes yes. in, you know. Yep. You've got to pick your shots. You've got to be intelligent about it, you know, and, and pick the placement. You know, pick the 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 speed, yep. the power. You know, I mean, because uh, I remember in the UFC, you know, back when we were fighting, they were taping it up to one inch behind the knuckle. Yeah, it's like, it's well, like what stupid. is that going to do? Yeah, right? That is completely like, stupid. Yeah, this is and I broke my hand, you know, still with the glove and the tape on. Yeah, yeah, it's it doesn't make sense to get that security. 
you, and knuckles are still exposed. Yeah, so right. you're taping behind the hand, and you feel like you can hit hard. Yeah. You can't. I mean, but, if you miss, you're going to hurt your hand. Yeah, you're not stabilized in anything. Right. You, you know, except your wrist, which was as good because... It means you can actually break your hand because yeah. your wrist's not going to give out. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you get that puncher's break right there, yeah. you know? So we, we had this uh, this mutual friend, training partner, crackhead steals his car, finds the guy, gets hit by his own car, is riding on top of the car, <laughs> punching the guy through the window. He says, I had to not hit him as hard as I could because he was getting wobbly, and I didn't want him to crash my car while I was on top of it. <laughs> Now, to me, that's 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 pretty level-headed for that situation because I'd be like, want to kill them all. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. you're going to die now, well, man. Was that, was that the second time? Because I, mean, I know he rode top of the car when his uh, wife was cheating on him. Yeah, that, no, that was the same incident. That was the same yeah, incident. Yeah. Okay. Same incident. Oh, wow. This guy also uh, push-started his truck after wow. his vasectomy. Yeah, he had a vasectomy, and he went out. It was a truck or Oldsmobile? No, it was a truck. It was an old Dodge truck yeah. that didn't start. I mean, it starts to push. That guy's tough. Super tough. I ain't going to move if I think that's going to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this guy's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he missed He missed the, the timing. wasn't right, but yeah, he could have yeah. been a world champ. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was He was five years too early. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a stud all the way up. Just a, a caveman. He's yeah. a fucking caveman. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've seen a few guys that when I was fighting and actually met them where you knew if that if it would have come around earlier, they'd have no question. Yeah. They'd have been right in their, their, their realm of of personality and character. Right. Yeah. But you but you know, yeah, yeah. You read about these actors or other athletes that think they, they, I could have done it, but I didn't want to. Well, no, you either wanted to or you didn't. There's well, no I wouldn't do it because I have to kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> no, there, there's a comp- competition factor in in you. You yeah. know, if if you wanted to do it, you'd have done, done it. it. Yeah. You know, it's not. I, you didn't do it because you'd ruin your movie career. Right. You know, you'd ruin your movie career because you would get, get exposed. <laughs> yeah, you'd get exposed as, as a fucking joke. Right. You know, I mean, okay, you got the body, you got the strength, you got the speed. Right. But you don't have the fucking mindset. No. Nope. You know, if you did, you'd be doing it. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. There's no excuse not to do it. No, you know? except for you don't want to get your ass kicked. Right. Period. Right. It's too much to risk. Yeah. Then you're putting it all out there. Yeah, you know, I hear it all the time, like Steven Seagal oh, and fuck, and uh, and uh, Chuck Norris and, and but Chuck Norris will tell you, hey, that ain't for me. So he's not, yeah. he's not gonna. Well, Chuck won't yeah. say, he's like, hey, right. I, I, those guys are badass, right? Yeah. yeah. But there's some of them like Steven Seagal that will tell you, well, if I would have done it, I'd have to kill him or I'd hurt him. I'm not right. gonna do that. You're like, right. shut up. You're completely delusional. Right. Completely delusional. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah, if you if you had that kind of skill, you'd be there in a second. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just to show everybody to how show tough everybody, you are. Yeah, and, and right. that would increase the amount of movie <laughs> right. money you would be getting. You know, yeah. like these fucking actors who do their own stunts. Bullshit. You know what? You Tom know, Cruise is one of them. Right. Oh, I do. All, yeah, you Bullshit. run. 
<laughs> you run on your own and yeah. you show people how fast you are, but when it comes to the actual stunts, please. They're not going to risk, no. you know, if I'm paying you $20 million to do a film, I'm not going to risk you getting hurt. Yeah, and then we have to stunts. cease production for six right. months, you know? Yep. It, it, wake up, sense. people, wake right. up. It's full of shit. Yeah, I mean, then they go through these, the way they take guns from people. Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, <laughs> and the fans are like, dude, man, that was, boy, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't have to point a gun at you. And you're like, yeah, you know, I've been training for a long time and really hard to be able to do that. And you're like, I'm going, brother, you took probably seven takes to get it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't get seven takes when a guy has a gun at your head. <laughs> and the trigger's right there on the finger, you know. And the guy's letting you take it. You're like, yeah. shut up, man. Yeah. Ah, it's I so mean, irritating. Yeah, it's a two-pound trigger pull, you know. <laughs> yeah, you hit like my a, hand, it's going off. Yeah, <laughs> I sneeze. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you gotta love the, you gotta love the, the fake world. The, the ones that, uh, never ever in their entire life been in a fight. Right. But now they've done some acting and they've gone through a few holds. Yep. Don't mess with them. They're yeah. truly badass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but guess what? There's a, there's a whole generation and, uh, and a half that believes all this crap. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, that just buys it. Oh, yeah. Buys the, the, the fake video of, uh, Bruce Lee playing uh, ping pong against oh, two guys. That one with drives the, me with nuts. the nunchucks. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Lee would have killed all of you guys. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. The guy weighs 120 pounds. Yeah. He could hit me with every shot he had, and I'd smile at him. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, yeah. I like the guy. Don't get yeah, me wrong. I right. thought he was awesome, man. I loved him in movies, but he's a movie star. <laughs> yeah. They, they yeah. fucking cut take. Yeah. You know, that action, you know. They do ten takes to get the one scene. You know. Yeah, and then they speed it up too. Like they, they, even though he was fast, but it just was much more impressive when they can make it faster. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh man, goodness, please, please. Oh, it, it drives you crazy because the people actually believe it, and then people who were in the pro wrestling world would believe it too. And you're like, wait. Nothing's real in our world. Nothing. Right. You know, and you're actually going to believe that? That's Hollywood. There's nothing even right. less real than that. You know, <laughs> that's, and, less than nothing real. And they want you to make sure that they believe it because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make sure that you believe what we do. We're stuntmen. Right. We want you to know that when we fall from the top rope or take a suplex, that we are doing it because we are. We just know how to fall. Right. We know how to take it flat. We know what we slam the hands down. We know how to break it. But it ain't going to happen in a real fight. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't happening like that. Like Dan's uh, Dan's uh, double uh, souffle on that poor kid. What was his name, Dan? Uh, Macias? Oh, my goodness. Oh, That's a man, He was reel. shaking his head. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you get that happen to you out in the street, man. Uh, <laughs> you know what? It's over. Yeah. It's over. Right. Yeah, he'd have in been the dead. parking lot. Yeah, parking lot at the curb, in the car. Right. You should like somebody. I mean, I remember Chip Park. Chip was like a 120 pounder, you know, at ASU. Mm -hmm. And, um, him and one other guy, they were pulling into a Circle K and these two rednecks, you know, stop and they give them shit. And okay. And so they, the, the guys parked their truck and they put their girlfriends on the tailgate. Oh, smart. This will just take a minute, honey. You know, <laughs> only in the movie. Yeah. Take a minute, honey. Be right back. Yeah. Chip suplex is this guy right to his fucking truck. And boom. Then took his girls. Like, Come on, yeah. girls. <laughs> 
Yeah, It'll so, only take a minute. I mean, Chip's, Chip's this fucking tall, you know? Right. But his arms are this long, you know? Uh, <laughs> he's like, he's a time, knuckle dragger. It's yeah. time for you to get your flight license. Yeah. <laughs> Little Chip. Uh, oh, he's a monster, man. He's a great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah, he's like, come on, girls. It'll only take a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> boom, boom. Wrong, wrong, yeah. wrong minute. Yeah, yeah, no, that he said that to the girls. Okay, girls, yeah. come on with me. It'll only take a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, it's the wrong minute, man. Right. Chip's uh, minute, not your minute, buddy. <laughs> right, right. These are on my terms, not yours. Yeah. Right. I mean, and the thing is, is you know, you know, you don't know who you're mouthing off to in that in that other truck, you know. And um, yeah, they got no idea. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I look like an old man in the in this car. Until <laughs> you, yeah, till you hit the guy, is yeah. like, damn. <laughs> well, yeah, and the door closed and the steering wheel. Yeah, okay, let's get out. Okay. But when he slammed the brakes on that Prius, I knew the shit was going to hit the fan. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've had a few of mine where my kids were actually in the car too, man. My my boys, they were a little bit older. Guy pulls up, has his kid in the car. He's 18. Pulls over. I get out. I told my kids, stay in the car. I had my little grandkid in there. Just we just come to the water park. I didn't say that. I said, hang on for a second. I get out. And my son's saying, dad, stop. And I'm like, I was hot. Yeah. Cut me off, followed me. So I get out. He parks on the other side. He comes across the road towards me. I get out of my car, stand in front of him. I say, take another step. I'm going to take you out because my kids were in the car. Yeah. And he kept coming. So I hit him. I dropped him right there, knocked his teeth out. <laughs> he gets up off, crawls to the outside, and all the cars are stopped at the light. Right. And my kids didn't get out. I told him to stay in the car because they tried to get out. I said, stay in the car. Yeah. And then the other kid came out from the back of it. I didn't know it was his son. It looked like another guy. Right. So he comes out and I look at him. And he takes off. <laughs> Cops show up. He's sitting on the curb the far side because uh, he came after I hit him where I was at by my car. The cops come over, and, and they knew who I was, and they were kind of laughing. Was, I guess they picked the wrong guy today. And I yeah. said, yeah. He says that you came over to your car, and you hit him. And I said, yeah. Is that just kind of funny? His teeth are laying right near mine. <laughs> hey, at least his kid was smarter. Huh? He's like, yeah. like uh, <laughs> Uh, my dad could whoop me. You whoop my dad. I'm gonna be over here waiting for you. Be playing pong. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like I said, I didn't know it was his kid when he came out. So I, and if if I'd have known, and obviously I wouldn't have done anything, and I didn't. But if he would have come closer, I'd have dropped him, right? right? But and he was 18 years old, so that wouldn't have turned out well. But he he hightailed it. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked out good. Yeah. And they see Dan. Tell us about your street fights. You ever been in a street fight, Dan? You, no. you, got fight, you got in a fight with that little girl over the ice cream truck. She got cut in front of the last, line. She got the last sandwich. Oh, yeah, the last she, ice cream sandwich. Yeah, yeah. tried yeah. to take your ice cream. <laughs> I feel like a scapegoat here right now. Yeah. I feel like you guys are picking on me right now. I'm just that's, a scapegoat. That's what happens when you don't show up. Yeah, you don't. Show. You rearrange the schedule. <laughs> what happened to me? It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough crowd. It's a tough crowd. <laughs> and we're going to eat, too. Oh, it's going yeah. to be incognito now. <laughs> Tony's making burritos, and we're going to have something to eat. And I don't know if we're going to let you watch, or we'll just click off on you. <laughs> 
Well, okay. See, <laughs> but you say that you have a burrito, so probably you're going to have some beans. So the way I started, the way we started this conversation tonight, you wouldn't want me from an hour from now. It'd be in your home anyway, Don. You'd be throwing me out. <laughs> I don't want you in my home anyway, <laughs> whether you're eating beans or not. <laughs> when you're fasting. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Quinn, Quinn wants me in the house, so uh, there. So, uh, yeah, Quinn does. Cause you cover for, her. <laughs> yeah. She can blame you. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a, it's a brutal. How long you've known? How long have you known her? Huh? Too long. Too long. Quinn? And no, Dan- Daniela. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who was he talking about? With the dog, oh, Quinn. He's like uh, Quinn's my girl. Oh, oh, oh. How, how long has Dan the known dog. his girl? Huh? How long has Dan known his girl? I don't know. And Mister Severn. How long have you been married? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys are still in the honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx it. <laughs> oh, he, he's in Michigan. He's not married while he's in Michigan. <laughs> yeah, there's a cross, cross state line. What is it? Oh, what not, is it? 300 not, miles? No. State lines. Okay, yeah. so he's back to being his cousin. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, Rich you, need to, you need to put a gag. You need to put a gag over the Dodger. He's, he's going on a little bit too much right now. He's just, yeah. Oh, so you're into that? That, huh? Gags. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Got a ball gag, yeah. Yeah, got some ball gag. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he liked that movie Pulp Fiction. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or or that old one with, uh, was it Kurt Russell, Squeal Like a Pig? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, Burt Reynolds. Oh, Burt yeah. Reynolds. Yes. What was that it. Dueling Banjos? Uh, oh. Deliverance. Deliverance. Yes. What a good movie. Nope. Mm. Yeah, Dan auditioned, Dan auditioned for that, you know, and he was too civilized for the part. <laughs> Looked oh, too man. clean. It wasn't believable. It would have been perfect. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Fry, Mr. Fry, Mr. Yeah. Fry. I just so don't hear right now. Yeah, yeah, one one tooth too many. Huh? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's brutal. <sighs> Well, well, Ken, here, here, here's, here's a question for you. When, what kind of a legacy, what kind of a legacy do you hope to leave behind? You know, the inevitability is all of us must be, all of us must part this earth one day. But what is the legacy that you hope to leave behind? Of what, uh, either what did Ken Shamrock stand for, or what did Ken Shamrock leave behind in his, uh, in his absence? What do you, what do you hope that legacy will be? Yeah, I mean, for me, when you talk about uh, my career and and uh, the success that I had in my career, the one thing that I always want to go back to was that you know, anytime that you, especially for young guys, uh, anytime that you come across obstacles or or things that kind of derail you from really achieving your goals, is not to blame other people for it. Like, don't don't go. Well, I bro- I blew my knee or I did this or so I wasn't able to do. It's like the one thing that I did in my career was that I. I depended on myself, even though I had people outside helping me and giving me opportunities, but I was the one that had to do it. So the legacy that I hope that I, that I leave behind is, is that anybody can accomplish anything they want to do, especially with the way my background and where I came from. As long as you're willing to put the work in, 
and go in there and do it because no one can do it for you. You have to do it. So I would just say, yeah, if my legacy is that, it's about being able to persevere and being able to, uh, you know, accomplish things that I set my mind out to do by hard work and dedication. And it has nothing to do with belts. That's great. That's a very honorable, great uh, legacy to leave behind. Yeah, it has nothing to do with belts. It has nothing to do with uh, winning all of these different um, championships. But because really none of that really matters unless you're willing to put the work in, unless you're willing to go do what you have to do to get it done. Um, And I think a lot of guys start focusing on money, start focusing on winning belts or winning championships before they ever understand what it is to win it. Yeah, you've got to you've got to be willing to put in the work, even after you're injured. Yep. You know, <laughs> yeah, and there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. Right. You know, a big difference. Absolutely. And, you know, hurt hurts so temporary. You know, it's <laughs> it's a blink of an eye, and injured is temporary too. Right. But it's a little bit longer temporary, yeah, a little bit more painful temporary. Yeah, it's for, and it's, it's what are you willing to do to get back to where right. you need to be? I broke my neck. You know, you had your issues. We all have different things in our career that derailed us from being able to keep moving forward for most people. But for us, it was like it's just another another obstacle that we have to get over in order to get back to what we want to do. Yeah. Another scar. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not going to stop us from accomplishing the goals we want to accomplish. Right. Right. It's going to delay it. That's all it is. That's it. Yep. Injuries that delay in time. Yep. That's it, man. Because it's an excuse at the end of the day. It's just an excuse. Right. uh, If you allow it to be. Um, Otherwise, at the end of the day, it's just an obstacle that you conquered. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, Dan, uh, same question to you, man. What is what do you want your legacy to be? What well, you know when they say Dan's gone? Simply that no, no, no. Simply that I made a difference. That's all. I made a difference. Uh, you know, saying all a lot of things that, that Ken just said. I made a difference because I was uh, I helped people do this. I helped people do that. I mean, uh, the fact is that I made a difference in the. Uh, my little slice of heaven here, you know. So that's all it is. I, I made a difference. What about you, Don? That's. Uh, are you done? <laughs> <laughs> no, I could go on sports. Yeah. Like. <laughs> all right, ahead. <laughs> I legacy shit. I, you know, I'm just happy somebody remembers me. I, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> especially. Uh, you know, I did well, a, but the, the the thing is, the thing is, because of because of the electronics, we have all this gadgetry that, long after we're gone, they're still going to have all this digital type of stuff. They'll, they'll be able to go and they'll see us talking on this podcast, and they may they may be using us as well. Look at these prehistoric creatures here right now. <laughs> you know, very unsophisticated barbarians who engaged in these the the, the physicalities of uh, you know. Uh, macho isms of one on one inside of a, a of a cage, and uh, you know the way that the, our country's going. I mean, uh, we we could be a, a very much a, a, a distinct uh, or extinct uh, species, extinct commodity. I mean, again, so you talk about real men, or you talk about uh, 
people or men that they actually display masculine traits, you know, <laughs> toxic. of uh, standing toxic. up and then, toxic uh, is having a good word. <laughs> toxic. <laughs> well, well, again, it's okay. the name yeah, of hence the name toxic of the... <laughs> to me. It's just being just being a real man. Yeah, right. you know, uh, right. uh, getting up and uh, when a woman comes in the in the room, yeah. shaking shaking people's hands, Open introducing door, yourself, right. opening the door, helping older people—that's become that. That's a masculine thing that men used to do, and now now it's an insult. Now it's an yeah. insult. You you know, you could get slapped for for yep. trying to help somebody to their car or something. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. that that's wrong. Well, they that's think not cool. You're a problem. <laughs> well, me personally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've literally had. Uh, women were, I'd be in an airport, uh, in an air, in an airline sitting down and I would get up and grab somebody's suitcase. Right. And literally the person would say, I can get up myself. And I get yeah. angry because I was like, Oh, yeah. so, I, I don't understand that. And I was like, I'm just helping. Like, yeah, you, and they would get upset at you for yeah. trying to. So now you don't do it until you know somebody, you'll ask them, Hey, you want me to get that? I normally wouldn't do that, but because of some of the things that has happened to me while I've gotten somebody's down, I don't do that no more. So I'll literally ask, hey, you want me to take that? And so they'll say yes. Or no, I got it. Because they'll light you up for getting down their suitcase. Yeah, it's like, right. what do you think? I get Maybe they like, recognize you from Whoa. when you were a kid stealing shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that uh, kid that stole my, my bike. You robbed my parents. <laughs> you were 13. Yeah. Right. 10 years old, you stole my right. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, Lucia, yeah, what'd you get arrested for? Strong arm robbery. <laughs> you were a junior parent, man. Junior high school uh, knickknacks. Stealing lunch money. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I got a basketball and a dodgeball. <laughs> I got 35 cents. Yeah. The, all the, five jugs of milk back then. Right. Come on. You, right. Can, you can steal my bike. You can steal my books, my pencils. Come for my lunch money. Got a lot of stereos. Got a lot of stereo systems out of cars, man. <laughs> oh shit! Then I got one need to put in. <laughs> yeah, let yeah. me get to that. I know yeah. that. Well, nowadays, man, you break into a car, it handcuffs you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how you find that out. <laughs> right. When Ken showed up, I asked the guys to lock my car. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my stereo? Yeah. <laughs> Old habit. Yeah, you never know. Relapse. Just uh, testing the testing the workmanship. Of right, right. I ran out of money, man. I got to start somewhere. Oh, <laughs> uh, you don't. Uh, right. Back to no money. Uh, hey, Don, we'll start a business, man. We'll always go online and say, need a stereo? We got whatever you want. Just yeah, tell us what it is you need. Tell us what you want. We'll get it for you. All right. <laughs> All right, Mr. I know I see you're chomping at the bit to say something. Well, I, no, no. Well, on well, on that note, oh. I'll simply I'll go like this because I think Tony will be happy with this. I'll simply say, on behalf of the Don people. the Predator Fry and <laughs> oh. myself, and to be severed, it has been a lot of fun having the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, in the studio for another episode of Toxic Masculinity: How Real Men Can Converse Even If We Don't Agree on Everything. Signing off. Thank you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like, subscribe, and share, or I'm going to come to your house.